welcome to another Comic Source Comic Boom collaboration. Uh, as you can see, I'm not in my normal recording spots. I'm in a <laughs> rental car driving from Los Angeles, LAX, International Airport, to Phoenix Airport because American Airlines can't get their act together. Uh, yeah, so we didn't want to miss out on dropping the DC spotlight for you guys. Uh, interest of full disclosure, I was so busy this weekend, I didn't get a chance to read the books. <laughs> I was planning on reading them on the plane today when I flew from Charlotte to Phoenix, but I never flew from Charlotte to Phoenix. Instead, I flew from Charlotte to LAX. I was supposed to double back to Phoenix, which is only one tiny hiccup in this horror show of travel that I've or- uh, undergone this weekend. So well, the Wi-Fi on the, plane, the Wi-Fi on the but I'm all going to comment uh, and ask questions, and we'll still give you guys your your massive dose of uh, of DC. Uh, we're going to do a separate podcast that talks all about the success of the auction, and in that separate podcast, I'm going to tell you guys the story blow by blow. And honestly, I feel like my ordeal puts planes, trains, and automobiles to shame. Because if planes, trains, and automobiles had tried to put in the number of things that went wrong for me with American <laughs> Airlines and everything else, nobody would believe it. They'd be like, no, you can't just put like one bad thing after another bad thing after another bad thing and, and absolutely nothing goes right. That's not real life. <laughs> tell you what, it was my real life this last weekend. Man. 24, I- hours, 24 hours it took me to go from Phoenix to actually get to Hartford. And I ended up having to rent a car to go – the last leg from Philly to Hartford. And then they, American Airlines wanted to take 36 hours to get me home when I was supposed wow. to be home in, uh, I guess, see, 10, 1. Uh, I was supposed to be home in six hours. They wanted to take 36 hours. So, again, I rented a car, taking matters into my own hands. Uh, but, yeah, overall, it was what? a good weekend. We raised, we raised a lot of money for Titus, and there's still more to come with that. So, uh, all that being said, I apologize <laughs> if the sound quality is not great or if I drop out randomly because I'm hitting a no Wi-Fi zone. But Rocky's got gotcha. you. Yeah, so well, with that, I'll let you take it away, Rock. All right. Uh, well, no problem. We'll, we'll figure it out. And, uh, again, a shout-out to you, uh, Jason, uh, at Terrificon. I know that you, you were there down there for that auction, raising money for Titus, uh, his fight against cancer. I'm glad to hear that went well. Uh, you're you're definitely taking one for the for for many a team uh, making the sacrifice uh, handling that auction enjoying the terrific on. I'm still jealous of you despite all the aggravation that you're you're going through there. But it's for, it was for a great cause, man. It's good to see that you're doing that. <laughs> but yeah, I you know I, I I said with all the stress and everything before the trip that I didn't know if it if it was going to all be worth it. Uh, but even with all this stress, uh, I'd do it again. Yeah. Now that's good. That that's good to hear. And well, uh, diving right into it here in terms of uh, what we have for comics, this is a another semi big week for uh, for for DC. I mean, we got uh, well, there's basically thirteen different titles, uh, and uh, you know we got we got Batman, uh, we got Batman one eleven, we got Green Lantern number five, Suicide Squad issue six, Swamp Thing six of ten. The third issue of Crush and Lobo. Uh, we have Justice League 66, Crime Syndicate, the final issue of Crime Syndicate, and uh, the Suicide Squad Get Joker number one by Brian Azzarello. 
There's also some other comics we likely won't be reviewing, but I, we might say a quick word about Justice League Infinity Issue 2, The Conjuring, The Lover Issue 3, American Vampire 1976, and The Dreaming, Sandman, The Dreaming, issue, the final issue of that, Issue 12. So, starting off, we are going to review Swamp Thing number 6. And, um, well, uh, this is, of course, written by Ram V., with uh, great art by Mike Perkins, there's a couple of uh, couple of uh, uh, standouts here. This actually uh, this actually overlaps with Suicide Squad. Uh, this 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 month's issue of Suicide Squad issue six, because while Amanda Waller is dealing with sending to sending Connor Kent and Superboy to to Earth three to rescue Bloodsport. Uh, she uh, she also has Peacemaker going to these uh, essentially going to try to apprehend Swamp Thing, and that that adventure takes place here in Swamp Thing issue six, and that is uh, yeah that's that's quite the thing. So so what happens here is uh, Amanda Waller. It's a it's a it's established here that uh, Amanda Waller is sending is sending. Uh, Peacemaker, along with a bunch of uh, uh, a sort of B and C listers, uh, to basically retrieve retrieve Swamp Thing because uh, the last issue of Swamp Thing, we uh, at the final issues of issue five, Swamp Thing essentially uh, noticed that something was something was wrong. The Green was crying out, and that was because Amanda Waller had Peacema- had had. Uh, Peacemaker set off a bomb to infect all the plants around in order to get uh, the Swamp Thing's attention, and the uh, and that was in India. And something feels very wrong in, in India here uh, because they they want to attract Swamp Thing. And Peacemaker has Heat Wave with him. He's got a new character, Nightmare Nurse, along with Chemo and the Parasite. So a really eclectic group of 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 villains, very interesting group of villains, and it actually becomes quite clear that uh, Amanda Waller just wants to get rid of Peacemaker. She wants him off the scene because we find out uh, that, in fact, she wants Peacemaker off the scene because she thinks that Peacemaker helped Colonel Flag escape from Bell Reeve, Pri- Bell Reeve Prison, and so she's she wants to get Peacemaker off the scene so she can just deal with Superboy and rescue Bloodsport from uh, from Earth three, but now here in the pages of Swamp Thing, this issue here is just that this involves not a heck of a lot happens here. This just involves this group of suiciders, su- suicide squatters, I guess. <laughs> they 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 try in vain to try to re- ret- to try to capture Swamp Thing, and they don't do a particularly great job. Uh, the characterization is really good. The best thing, this feels like a Suicide Squad issue. <laughs> and I think I think in that respect, I think many people might enjoy it, uh, Jace, because I know that some people have, uh, have Swamp Thing hasn't been their cup of tea. Ram V has done a really good job here of really nailing the characterizations uh, and making Heat Wave interesting, Nightmare Nurses interesting, even the Parasite. The Parasite seems to be feeding off the green in some way and I, I suspect that the green might be infecting parasite which is kind of ironic because usually it's the parasite that infects or sort of absorbs energy but in any event uh, it's very interesting 
And chemo here, I don't know how on earth Amanda Waller, leave it to Amanda Waller to figure out a way to control chemo of all, of all creatures. But what's great here is we have a, we know that, we know that Levi Kame, who is the Swamp Thing, we know that he became Swamp Thing. He had, he established a connection to the green in issue one. He referenced that his father dying and he referenced something that happened when he was in India involving, uh, ultimately the death, uh, involving his brother. And this is, this, uh, as, as Levi is healing from some injuries in previous issues, the green is restoring his memory because as, uh, the power of the green is in memory is is what uh, Alec Holland told Levi, that the power of the green is in memory. And so the green is restoring Levi's memory. And by doing so, that's how Ram writer Ram V gives us the flashback into Levi's life. Uh, flashback. And there's a flashback of him talking with his brother and his father in India. And we're sort of getting that flashback as to what happened to turn Levi into the Swamp Thing. What established his connection? And that is interspersed with a lot of great action sequences with Heat Wave attacking Swamp Thing uh, with fire uh, and the Swamp Thing reacting, jumping into a lake. Meanwhile, uh, Nightmare Nurse and the Peacemaker, uh, they're frustrated because Heat Wave is a criminal. He does he wants to do things on his own. He's not interested in apprehending Swamp Thing alive. He wants to kill the Swamp Thing. Amanda Waller, of course, gives him the option, only kill as a last resort. While Heat Wave is kind of a jerk, you know, he's going to use lethal force if he can. He likes to watch things burn. And incidentally... I'm not sure if this is the same heat wave that we see in the pages of Flash that we know is dying of cancer. So I'm not sure if uh, this is the same heat wave. Or, uh, uh, I'm not, but in any event, it's kind of interesting there. But this was an interesting issue overall. I thought it was. I thought it played really well. It's 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 perfectly synchronized with Suicide Squad issue six that we'll also be reviewing this week. It's really great. This is a this pushes Peacemaker off the field. It gets him into India, away from Amanda Waller, allowing Amanda Waller to play her games and, and send the crew to Earth-3 to rescue Bloodsport. And, it, you know, I thought this worked really well. And a great, great flashback sequences with Levi in India with his father. Beautiful art by, by Mike Perkins here. Really great scenes between Levi and his brother Jacob. Really popped off the page. Coloring was excellent. I got to say, um, it's uh, very, you know, very impressive. And I, I would encourage people who weren't really into Swamp Thing, I, I think they might really enjoy this issue most of all because we get so much action in it and we got the Suicide Squad. And it ends uh, it ends with a cliffhanger with uh, Heat Wave thinking that, you know, he's safe. And of course, Swamp Thing is about to attack Heat Wave. And that's how this issue ends. So while not a lot of substance happens, it's clear that Levi is, we're starting to get some flashbacks as to Levi's past. So overall, I thought it was pretty decent. Yeah, I don't know if this is one I would have necessarily read. You know, I keep saying I'm going to back off a of suicide spot and then I keep, or a uh, swamp thing rather, and then I keep reading it. Uh, who did you say was off on their own? Well, uh, uh, Amanda Connor sent, sent Peacemaker and this crew to India to re retrieve Swamp Thing. But Amanda Waller in the pages of Suicide Squad 6 this, this week, she sends Connor, she sends Connor, you know, slash Superboy and, uh, the, 
the rest, you know, the the other crew of <laughs> the other crew, she sends them to Earth Three to rescue Bloodsport. So Nocturna and uh, Connor Kent, they're off in Earth Three trying to rescue, uh, trying to rescue. Uh, uh, Bloodsport, and they're you know they're successful in doing that, and it's very interesting that Am- Amanda Connor is playing so many. She's got her hands in so many, so much, so much right now. It's ridiculous because, uh, in fact, one that's one of the things that we should jump into. We'll re- review that next, right now. In fact, I'll I'll hop to that right now because with uh, Suicide Squad number six, uh, Robbie writer Robbie Thompson, man, he he does a great job. I know Amanda Waller isn't your favorite character, Chase, but Amanda, it's established in Suicide Squad 6 that Amanda Waller has a savior complex. She actually is looking to save something. She wants to save Earth 3. And we knew that from Future State. She was. We knew that she wanted to save Future State and she establishes Connor Kent as the Superman of Earth 3. She actually does the beginnings of that plan begins in Suicide Squad number six. And part of that plan involved getting Peacemaker away from her. And so that's why she sent Peacemaker to India to get him off the playing field so she could just focus on Superboy because Amanda Waller does not trust Peacemaker. She thinks that Peacemaker orchestrated Colonel Flagg's escape in issue four of Suicide Squad and she doesn't trust him. But... Uh, she still wants to keep him uh, because he's a good soldier. She still wants to keep him around. But uh, uh, I got to tell you, it's uh, it's it's quite interesting here. Um, I just want to bring up some of the pages for those uh, watching. Well, I think it's no surprise that Suicide Squad is everywhere right now. And the movie comes out this Friday. Uh, so... Uh, it is no surprise. I, I mean, I, I said earlier, I probably, you know, I keep saying I'm going to skip something, but I 100% would have wanted to see Rom Via write the, the Suicide Squad. So I probably will actually read that, um, read that Swamp Thing issue. Um, but you're right. Amanda Waller has her hands in many pies. Yeah. And uh, the... They, I gotta say, I I told my retailer I wanted I'm I'm actually getting all the Suicide Squad variants this month, and there's a lot of them. But I I, I love you know most of them are really good. Uh, some of them you know again, there's a couple of not so great ones, but I would say most of them are pretty damn good. And I'm showing the um, the, the movie the movie uh, cover for Suicide Squad. For Suicide Squad 6, <laughs> the movie cover is pretty good. It shows Bloodsport on the cover. Really good stuff. And then there's there's a, the cover B is, uh, has some uh, a Riley Rosmoe cover of Peacemaker, which is actually surprisingly good. It, has the, it shows uh, Peacemaker's helmet with uh, Colonel Flagg, oddly enough, in the reflection, which I find kind of uh, interesting. Actually, Riley Rosmoe has the Suicide Squad movie, uh, has the movie up. Uh, uh, picture, but in any event, Suicide Squad Six here, man. This I got to tell you, uh, I'm actually enjoying Earth Three. I'm I'm loving Ultraman as much here as I am when Andy Schmidt writes him in the final issue of <laughs> Crime Syndicate that we're also reviewing this week. <laughs> and because this starts off, because Amanda Waller, you know, I mean, Bloodsport needs their help. Remember, like last last week. Or the, the the last issue, Amanda Waller, you know, sent sends Bloodsport some kryptonite, 
And I don't know if she knew this, but the kryptonite powers empowers Ultraman. So Ultraman wants to use Bloodsport to to find more more kryptonite. And it's quite clear that Amanda Waller is preparing for a fight. So she is she's sending uh you know uh Talon Night Terror as another member of the team, Connor Kent and uh Chuko or uh I, I always forget her name there, that 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 big hulking character you like so much. Y- your favorite character on Suicide Squad, what is that? That that big woman. Do you know what I'm talking about, Jace? <laughs> yeah, I know who you're talking about, but I can never remember her name either. It's like Kabula, Kanubra, yeah, Cabela. Ca- ca- oh, Calebra. Yeah, that's what it is. Culebra, right. Calebra and Nocturna and Connor. Anyways, they're they're all they're all in, they're all sent to Earth three, and they're they're all they've only got an hour on Earth three to rescue Bloodsport, and you know it's interesting that the one the one thing that doesn't quite work in this issue or it it works, but Amer- Amanda Waller is so contradictory. She threatens Connor Kent. She threatens Connor saying, you know, you better do what I say or I'm going to kill you. You know, you'll do what it takes, Superboy. You will die. And then, but yet at the end, when, at the end of the issue, when it, when Connor has essentially rescued everyone through a portal to get them off Earth 3, and he's left fighting Ultraman all by himself, he's about to be defeated, and the doc, and one of the assistants tells Amanda Waller, you have to speak, you have to talk, you know, you, you got to boost Superboy up, you know. Don't talk down to him. Don't threaten him. He's not like the others. You got to talk. You know, you got to. And so she tells him. She tells him that it's not in your nature to kill. So Amanda Waller does a complete 180. On she, she threatens Connor's life at the beginning of the issue, and then completely tells him that he's better than anyone, and he's not a killer, and he should be who he really is at the end of it. And and that inspires him to knock, knock Ultraman out of the way, and essentially they they all escape Earth three, knowing full well that they're going to have a battle against the Crime Syndicate at some future point. And we know ultimately defeat the Crime Syndicate because we know that's what happened in Future State, and it's it seems fairly certain that that's likely going to happen, even though that's a future not written in stone. We also know. That Nocturna confesses to, to Connor Kent, confesses to Superboy that she meddled with his mind and that she's not sure what's in Superboy's mind. His memory is all over the place. She can't make heads or tails in terms of Connor, uh, Connor Kent's memory. Ultraman also makes some comments. Ultraman takes one look at Connor Kent and says, you're nothing but a clone of a clone of a clone. You're, you're, a, you're basically, a, you're a fake. You're not real. And... There's really there's fantastic action sequences here. I I I love I love how this played out. Ultraman ends up killing one of the members of the Suicide Squad, and I can't remember. I don't know who who it is. It's one of the plant. It almost looks like one of the uh, a, a wooden plant creature of some kind. He ends up killing and frying, and he clearly Ultraman would have killed more. Fortunately, Amanda Waller has the Black Siren, which is Earth 3's Black Canary, help out to. Uh, disable and to impair Ultraman with uh, ultrasonic sounds uh, but great action sequences here great art I, you know Bloodsport is great Nocturna is great they all managed to escape 
Superboy rises to the occasion. I got to tell you, man, I prefer this Superboy to, to, to John Kent. I, I, I would pick Connor Kent over John Kent any day of the week. I like this Connor Kent. He's kick-ass. And, but, you know, one of the things I'm wondering, Jason, you tell me this. I don't know if I want J- Connor Kent to be the Superman of Earth 3. I don't know how I feel about that. What about you? Yeah, I... I... I sort of like the idea, actually. I haven't thought about it too much, but, you know, part of the reason I liked Earth 3 so much is, and we talked about this when Andy was on the show, was uh, the fact there wasn't a lot of gray area there, right? Alexander Luther was the the non-powered, and the crime syndicate obviously were the, the very powerful beings who kind of ruled the planet. And um, I think actually his name was Alexander Luther, uh, he's yeah. going by his given name, the short name selects. Um, but he, he was like the world's smartest person. That part was the same, just like it is in the regular DCU. And he was, was able to um, build a bunch of technology, armor and jetpack and whatever, and fight the crime syndicate. So, uh, you know, as evil as Arlex was, the other side of his coin was Alexander Luther from Earth 3. And he was unwavering in his heroism. And that's something that you can say the same about Connell. You know, he's he's unwavering in his heroism. Yeah. Despite being yeah. of a, a clone, half Lex Luthor DNA, half Superman DNA, uh, formative years behind bars, and then um, been doing other stuff for the last little while. Uh, and it's- but now... And uh, now, Amanda Waller uh, really does try to inspire Connor. She says, you don't kill, not for me, not for anyone, she says, because that's not who you are. You're Superboy, goddammit. That's an exact quote. So Amanda Waller, she's really flip-flopping here. And it's she did the same thing in Future State, which I thought was, you know, a little bit out of character, you know, because I'm not really used, we're not really used to Amanda Waller being so bloody heroic so um but it's it's interesting here because amanda waller makes a comment to an, another uh, colonel parker uh who is a, another colonel in this issue where she says to him you have no idea what it takes to do my job maybe one day you'll you'll do my job but you have no idea what i have the decisions i have to make so i think that there's an attempt here by writer robbie thompson to really delve into the character of amanda waller a bit and maybe attempt to show some of her her emotion and her angst and her difficulties that she has uh, with respect to the decision-making that she's always making. But, uh, all, all in all, you know, it, it's interesting. I, I think this is this is a great week. Uh, I would recommend everyone to buy Swamp Thing number six, Suicide Squad number six, and also Crime Syndicate number six. Because <laughs> it's, uh, I, I think these are a trifecta of, of, of entertainment. Uh, Swamp Thing and Suicide Squad issue sixes are, are definitely linked. And Suic- and Crime Syndicate, of course, ends that, ends that series. But it's a, it's a really good primer because you get, you got a lot of great Suicide Squad, Crime Syndicate love, and some Swamp Thing thrown in. No question. Yeah, I'm going to be curious when I get a chance to read it. Um, I mean, I, I sort of feel like there's only good things to come for Amanda Waller in terms of she can't be really much worse of a character than she is now. So they, they <laughs> don't seem more to get rid of her. So yeah. I guess well, we'll see. I'm, 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 all for a more, I'm all for a more personal origin 
as opposed to the really tropey origin that Ostrander did for us in the Suicide Squad. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, uh, I I should say that uh, the uh, Earth in the it, at the end of Suicide Squad number six, it it makes clear that. The, it continues in the Suicide Squad Annual 2021, and there's a there's another clone of Superboy that shows up at the end of Suicide Squad number six, which is interesting. So, and they're in, they're in a bunker. They end up in a bunker in Russia. I I, I and I'm, I don't believe they're on Earth three anymore. They they leave Earth three and they end up on in a in a in a Russian bunker somewhere. But another clone of Connor Kent is there. So I think we're finally going to get some answers as to what the heck is going on with Connor Kent. How many, how many clones of Connor Kent are there? So it's, it's going to be interesting to see. And I, I, I got to tell you, man, I'm so looking forward. I, I hope Robbie Thompson writes the, the, uh, the battle between the inevitable battle between crime syndicate and the suicide squad. I can't wait to see that. I hope to see that. We were sort of, we've only been given bits and pieces of that in future state. We, we never saw how the crime syndicate was defeated, but hopefully we're going to be able to see that in the pages of Suicide Squad. Yeah, I guess we'll see. But, uh, all right. So, uh, I guess the next one we can review <laughs> is I, I almost feel bad reviewing Crime Syndicate number six because uh, just to re remind people, uh, uh, Jace uh, was kind enough to allow me to uh, partner with him to interview Andy Schmidt on the first five issues of Crime Syndicate. And we really, uh, Jace, uh, I'm sure you'll agree, we definitely picked uh, Andy Schmidt's brain on all things Crime Syndicate. And I got to tell you, man, uh, I wish you'd have read this issue because I'm I'm a little bit uh, I'm a little bit surprised by it. I'm I I don't you know it kind of ends it it um, it, it it surprised me it it's it, it surprised me and I was a little bit thrown by the characterization of uh, Emerald Knight uh, because Emerald Knight uh, Jace. I think you and I, it was an easy prediction that uh, Emerald Knight would essentially, uh, I guess, betray the team, so to speak, or betraying the Legion of, of Justice. And, uh, uh, yeah, and this issue cons consists primarily of a battle between Kara Supergirl and Ultraman. And Ultraman... You know, he, he's basically asking, where, where were you, Ultra Girl? All these years, I've been so alone. I thought I was the only one. And Ultraman, you know, he, he's so happy that he's, he's, that there's another, there's another person out there just like him. But Kara, this, this Earth 3 Super Ultra Girl absolutely hates him. She says that when she came to Earth, you know, she couldn't believe how perverted he was and how, how evil he was and what he became. And so she's sickened by him. And uh, meanwhile, meanwhile, we got this uh, Emerald Knight. He actually defeats, he defeats Donna Troy, Superwoman. Uh, but unfortunately, 
they end up landing on Demon Island, not Paradise Island. It's on Earth Three. It's called Demon Island, and Emerald Knight has to battle all these, all these, I guess, Amazons on Earth Three, and it ends up that uh, the Emerald Knight, Emerald Knight, he's taunted by them, and he actually kills a whole slew of Amazons. Meanwhile, meanwhile, uh, Ultra Girl is battling Ultraman and uh, and Atomica shrinks down really low and it, it's re- it's actually really tragic in this issue because Atomica, I don't know how I feel about it, Atomica shrinks so low and she ends up going into uh, Kara's brain and ends up killing Ultra Girl by, by moving something in her brain and and it, it's really it's really really tragic and what's what's even odd about that is on the flip side we have emerald knight betraying sinestro and basically shooting a beam through sinestro and essentially i believe killing him but i'm not sure why why i don't really understand why uh i don't understand why the emerald knight betrayed him the it's really weird jace because it the emerald knight he ends up uh apparently the ring was influencing him and uh you know donna troy is trying to tell emerald knight donna troy is trying to talk the emerald knight into being into converting and changing sides and but sinestro tells the Emerald Knight tells him, don't listen to her, John. You're a victim of the ring. I shouldn't have allowed it to, to you know, it was my mistake. Uh, but you're going to start, we're going to start you back on the path to recovery. I will walk with you as your brother. So, you know, and, and Emerald Knight says, thank you, Thal. Thank you, Sinestro. But I don't need your pity. And then, then he kills him. And, uh, and Emerald Knight says that once the voice was gone, there was clarity. So the moment that there was no voice of the ring in his head, he became more. It's it's he became more evil. It's the oddest thing. I thought I, that's I, I don't understand it. I really wish you to you to read it so maybe I'm missing something. But I wish Andy. Sh- I I'm I'm not understanding. I, I'm not understanding what Emerald Knight did here. His about face. I'm not. I'm just not buying it. I I don't. I'm missing something. So. And unfortunately, I mean, other than that, like, because that was a miss for me. I don't understand this Emerald Knight. I'm I'm more confused now than ever before. I don't understand why he 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 shift allegiances like that. It doesn't make a lot of sense to me. He's blaming it on the voices in his head. But the ring was trying to get him to be evil. So why, when the ring is trying to get you to be evil, would you be good? That makes no sense. I I, I miss that. I it, it's. That's sort of like the odd play. The ring tries to get him to be evil, but when the evil, when the ring tries to get him to do bad, he does good. But then when the ring stops talking to him, he's more likely to do bad. <laughs> so uh, maybe that's what Andy Schmidt was going for. I don't know, but it's it's odd. So Sinestro dies, and then Ultra Ultra Girl was a really tragic death. I I didn't want her to die. I really liked her. She seemed to have the passion and is to, to be as uh, filled with truth and justice and hope, like like our like our Superman. But she ends up uh, dying, and 
Ultraman can't believe it. He, he says he, Ultraman goes into denial when, when Kara collapses because he says, this isn't possible. You're like me. You can't die. You can't effing lose. And, and Alexander Luther is devastated by Kara's death, by Supergirl's death, as you can imagine. And, uh, cause, because Alexander loves her like his own family. And, but nonetheless, he, Ultraman blames Super Girl's death on Luther as a, he doesn't seem to blame Atomica who is responsible for her death but he blames Alexander Luther and uh, yeah but in any event um, that I mean that's that's kind of it uh, everyone goes about their you know there's new alliances that are forged the Legion of Justice is is defeated but they, they go about you know they they scatter across the globe Owlman goes back and orchestrates the, the Court of Owls again. And, um, you know, sort of a new status quo is, is set up. And, yeah, it's the crime syndicate is in, basically in charge of, uh, you know, more in charge of things again. Uh, and the crime syndicate says to the world, you've seen what we can do, what happens to our enemies. As for the rest of you, 7 billion freeloaders, you can all rest easy now because from this day forward, we will be watching. And so, so Ultraman makes it clear to all metahumans that we're the, we're the top dogs. You do what we tell you, whether you like it or not. And so there's an uneasy status quo that's established. One that you would expect to be established in Earth 3. <clears throat> so, again, um, interesting stuff. Um, uh, the the final the the eight the four page backup just shows the 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 origin of Atomica, and Atomica just got her powers from basically drinking a formula that that uh, Johnny Quick helped her steal, and and that's and that's basically that was that's basically her origin, and yeah that that's basic that was basically it and her origin t- issue is called. My pleasure is your pain. So this Atomica, she's one really sick puppy. She's definitely, <laughs> she's definitely sick. Part of me wishes that we would have more of a black label, uh, more of a black label six issue series that Andy Schmidt sort of teased and talked about. But uh, in any event, man, I, I'd be really curious to know your thoughts on this issue. I just wish you'd read it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's hard for me to say without having read it. Um, I do, uh, you know, and no begrudging of spoilers because I didn't know that Kara died. Uh, but again, I, Rocky and I, Rocky and I talked about it, and I was like, no, go, go full board. You know, um, if I am spoiled on something, I'm spoiled on something. Just one more thing you can blame on the airlines. Um, but I am disappointed to hear that she dies because, much like you, I was excited to learn more about her and. Uh, now Earth Three has a dead Superman and a dead Supergirl, and that's that's too bad. Um, I think she's more interesting in a way. Yeah, well, she um, she might uh, come back. You never know. She might be resurrected because she might come back evil or maybe brain damaged. Who knows? Yeah, I mean that's the thing with. Uh, these flights into Houston on the, that one night of the year. Um, yeah. 
But in any event, uh, continu- uh, continuing on, uh, we got where does one go from here? Wow. Uh, the next one oh. is Justice League 66. You know, one more thought on, on Suicide Squad or uh, okay. Crime Syndicate real yep. quick. Um, I, I think this is the first time we've ever had an Earth 3 version of Supergirl, basically. Um, and I guess that's where my disappointment, because I, I think there was potential there. So maybe that has to do with some of my, my disappointment that she's dead already. But you're uh, right, it's common. She can come back. Yeah, and, you know, it kind of goes into the loneliness angle because that was the big angle that uh, Andy Schmidt was, that, that he'd written about. He teased where Ultraman is lonely. He's, Ultraman never killed his family. Like, in the, in, in the Jeff Johns version, in the New 52 Crime Syndicate version, Jeff Johns scripted Ultraman is killing his family. Uh, whereas this one, this Ultraman by Andy Schmidt in this new omniverse is one that doesn't want to be alone. And so he, he treasures the fact that he's got a, he's got a cousin and he's got family. And, and I have a sneaking suspicion that, uh, future writers are going to bring Kara Supergirl back or ultra girl back on earth three. She might be brain damaged and she might even be evil when she comes back. Who knows? But I think it's, it's too good a character to just sort of, uh, kill off like, uh, like, uh, Andy did, but, uh, <laughs> but no, it's, it's good. A lot of potential there. He's planted a lot of Easter eggs. So overall, my judgment of, of the crime syndicate series, this is a really good start for future writers to take and uh, and there's so many easter eggs in there and Andy Schmidt talked about he has a bible of 150 characters for Earth 3 so I would love for him to share that bible with future writers just to give them a head start and to see what they can work with I, I really like what Robbie Thompson is doing with Earth 3 and how he's scripting it in the pages of uh, Suicide Squad and uh, and I think I think I think Robbie Thompson's having a lot of fun with that and moving forward to the Suicide Squad and the battle between the Suicide Squad and the Crime Syndicate, I think it's going to be very, very interesting, especially if we're going to have a Superman, Connor Kent, becoming the Superman of Earth-3. That is definitely going to change the the scope of Earth-3, and it's going to change the status quo on that planet. So it's going to be interesting. Yeah, definitely, for sure. But... Okay. All right, Justice League number sixty-six. Uh, okay. All right, I um, I'm I I'm spoiled. I'm used to having uh, I'm used to tag teaming doing this stuff uh, with you uh, yeah. also in front of your computer there, my friend. But. Justice League 66, it's not going to surprise you, Chase. Not a not a heck of a lot happens here. The cover says it all. J- Justice ends and the united rise. So, do you want to guess what happens? <laughs> uh, Sinmar wins? <laughs> You're actually right. He, he, Sinmar... Uh, artist Phil Hester 
uh, is uh, does a. Fr- I th- I think th- I'm not a huge fan of Phil Hester on the art, but I think this is some of the best art of Phil Hester's career. I thought he did a really good job here. Uh, I was surprised because when I heard that Phil Hester was drawing this, I I I didn't have high expectations. But the art here is fantastic. He he's the, he does a really good job, and it starts off with Naomi and Aquaman that the Hall of Justice is in ruins. Remember last issue where Batman tells everyone, don't let this, don't let the Hall of Justice fall. Don't let this fall. Well, it falls. <laughs> it falls completely due to the attack from Sinmar Utopica. Sinmar Utopica being the villain that has graced the pages of Bendis's Superman and Action Comics. And this continues. Sinmar Utopica has destroyed the Hall of Justice. Naomi and Aquaman, they're recovering. Uh, Hippolyta ends up attacking Sinmar, gets incapacitated. Meanwhile, we get we go back and see Black Canary and Oliver Queen. They're recovering from their, uh, I guess you could say their, uh, their attack from this wannabe death stroke. And they, they contact Lois Lane. Now, for, for those people who've been... Uh, paying attention we know from justice league 65 that lois lane has a brother damon rose that was a huge revelation in justice league 65 that damon rose said lois lane is my sister what is really odd here and leave it to bendis to really screw things up uh black canary is talking to lois lane and black canary says hi lois lane this is dinah black canary sorry to bother you but and lois lane finishes her sentence and says you're with my brother as if she knew so what I find incredible about that is like Lois Lane knows she has a brother so I guess it's not a surprise to Lois Lane how would Lois Lane know that her brother is with Black Canary and Oliver Queen I mean none of this has been hold on on a second before you even get to that once again Bendis shitting on the relationship of Lois and Clark, because Superman's never said anything about her having a brother. That's exactly now, right. I guess, you know, to play devil's advocate here for a second, what any Bendis fan would say, well, we don't know that Lois didn't tell Clark. <laughs> yeah. Whatever. Uh, you know, uh, Bendis destroying, uh, I don't know why editorial gives him carte blanche to destroy the Hall of Justice, I think that's a bad look. Whatever, they must have had story reasons. I'll, he, I'll buy that. But what I don't understand is them letting him destroy continuity and established canon of, of relationships between two of the oldest characters in the DCU who trust each other implicitly, and Lois all of a sudden has all these secrets. Yeah. No, I... I it's, yeah. it's lazy lazy, lazy writing. It's ex deus machina, uh, you know, just making shit up that uh, because he can't, he's, you know, written himself into a corner or he doesn't know how to get from point A to point B without just making some shit up that supposedly has deep roots in DC history, but has never been mentioned before ever in 80 years of the characters. Yeah. And, and, and it's not even so much, it's not, well, in addition to what you just said, it's very jarring here because not only do we now know that 
Lois Lane has a brother, but Lois Lane actually asks, uh, did, did he have something to do with the fall of the Hall of Justice? Like, Lois Lane actually seems to know that her brother is a criminal or that her brother is up to no good. And this is very jarring, I think, for, I think it's going to be a lot, of, very jarring for a lot of readers. I, I would have liked to have, this is not a good way to introduce a brother of Lois Lane. I, I don't really like, I mean, whatever. I mean, it's, it, it, I'm still interested in, to, I, I am interested. I do want to know more about Damon Rose, but it's just like on the cover of Checkmate number two last week when we reviewed that. Who is Damon Rose? <laughs> it wasn't even in the issue. And, and oh. then, he, you know, it's, it's nonsense. But in this issue, it, you know, Lois's conversation with Black Canary and Oliver Queen reviews, rev, reveals very, very little. You know, it just, it, they're talking in circles. Uh, Black Canary expresses her dis, her, uh, her frustration with Oliver for being involved with Checkmate and then the, what she calls, she refused, she refers to Lois's brother as Mini Lane, as a, instead of Mini Me, Mini Lane. And she's pissed off at Oliver for being involved with Checkmate. And again, again, a, a useless conversation. So why have Black Canary call Lois Lane and then Lois Lane say, "Oh, you must be. With, oh, you're with my brother. Oh, did did he? Did my brother cause the the Hall of Justice to fall? Like, what the hell? Who talks like that? And why would Lois even think that? There's so many. There, you know, Bendis jumps from scene to scene so much that this is it's so frustrating. The one good thing about this issue, though, I will say is Phil Hester's art. Uh, I find that the line work here is much better than Phil Hester's usually is. I'll ha I would have to double check to see if this was inked, who this was inked by. Or the inks are by uh, Eric Gabster. Uh, that's, that's a, Eric Gabster does a good job with Phil Hester's art because a lot of times Phil Hester's art feels a little bit, a, a little bit too choppy sometimes. But here, it's very, very defined, very well done. There's a great scene here with, with Hippolyta attacking Sinmar Utopica. She ends up getting her butt kicked, but it's, it's, a, great, it's a great action sequence. And we end up learning a little bit more about Sinmar Utopica because one of the complaints that I had, and I know you did, Chase, many people had with Bendis' Superman run, in the pages of Superman, we didn't learn a lot about Sinmar Utopica. We didn't learn exactly what his motives were. We weren't even sure if he was a bad guy, quite frankly. I mean, he, and his language, the dialogue of how Sinmar Utopica spoke in the pages of Superman was atrocious. It was very hard to understand and to figure out what Sinmar was saying or any of his or any of his uh, other citizens from his planet, uh, Sinmar, like Sinmar Utopica is from the planet called Sinmar Utopica, which is another insane thing, but whatever. What's interesting here is that Bendis has changed the manner of the dialogue of how Sinmar speaks, so it's actually easier to understand. <laughs> I couldn't believe it. Uh, I, I, I had to open uh, my Superman, my past back issues of Superman to compare how Sinmar speaks. He's easier to understand here because it's just written better. But it still makes not a lot of sense. Sinmar Utopica has this plan. He wants to capture the Earth. So he contacts his planet and says, I've conquered the Earth. I'm going to offer the Earth so you can offer, so you can bring me back. And I want to barter to the Sinmar Planetaria 
for for forgiveness of my sins and as penance i give you the planet earth that i've now conquered that's essentially what he's do doing and of course it's easy to conquer earth right you know because of course it's written by bendis so sinmar defeats the entire justice league and destroys the hall of justice and uh but that that's essentially that's essentially what happens uh fortunately superman steps into the fray superman tries to reason with sinmar and what I love about what I love about the scene is that Black Adam inter interjects and says, "No, no, Superman, let me handle this." And Black Adam doesn't feel like negotiating with Senmar, <laughs> and he attacks him. And it's that's one thing that that uh, Bendis gets right. It's Black Adam in this issue. Black Adam attacks Senmar Utopica, and you know. Punches him right into the skyline above the Hall of Justice. It's a great scene. And so there's great action here. There's even some good dialogue between Naomi and John Constantine. Uh, some good humor. John Constantine is wants to hide out Naomi and, and her parents uh, underneath the Hall of Justice where they have that Bibbles. Bibbo, the detective chimps, he has that, that bar it, hidden in another... Uh, they can enter another. Uh, they can enter the Tower of of Fate uh, from the from the basement of the Hall of Justice to basically protect themselves. And there's also there's even a bar that he didn't mention it, but there's also a I think at what was the Eternity Bar or something that that Justice League Dark went into in in the past. Anyways, that's all under the Hall of Justice, and there's a great scene there. Naomi puts her parents into safety with John Constantine. Uh, and then, of course, she heroically goes back to try to help uh, to help the rest of the heroes uh, rescue the people that are need help from all the debris and help Black Adam and the rest of the league fight uh, Sinmar Utopica. And there's a whole slew of other Justice Leaguers that show up. There's a lot of action in this issue. I have to say that even though I would have preferred uh, David Marquez on the art, I got to say Phil Hester, he does uh, these action sequences just very well. There's a lot of kinetic energy. There's a lot there's a lot going on, and it's, it's, it's really good to see. Uh, you know, at the end of the... It basically ends with a with a full with with a nice well drawn page with the United Order showing up. The United Order, remember the United Order of the United Planets. They they basically replaced the Green Lantern Corps. So uh, so the United Order is looking for Sinmar Utopica. They actually come to Earth, and they want to arrest Sinmar Utopica to uh, have him atone to be punished for his sins and Superman tells Sinmar to uh, surrender or we'll do it for you and yeah so interesting issue man interesting issue uh, did, did, did you catch any of what I said uh, what are your thoughts uh, Jace yeah I mean <laughs> I I'm not a fan of Hester either on superhero stuff obviously I haven't seen the art so I can't really sp speak to that um, but, you know, just to reiterate what I said about Bendis killing continuity and I, to give him a flagship title. And I, I don't understand. We know he doesn't script well. And now you, well, you give him a, an arguably harder scripting job when there's multiple characters. And when you're kind of phoning it in, fans can certainly tell. Yeah. Well, I can tell you or, this. I can yeah, tell you this. 
uh, yeah. with Suicide tomorrow, uh, with Justice League. Yeah. Uh, Bendis definitely focuses this issue on Sinmar Utopica. There's a there's a more than there's at least three pages where he focuses ex- exclusively on Naomi and explaining how heroic Naomi is and Naomi, you know, taking her parents to safety and flying off into the battle. This is clearly trying to give props to Naomi, trying to prop up her character, trying to prop up even Black Adam. Uh, so, and there's, you know what, frankly, I don't, I'm going to, I'm going to forgive Bendis a little bit for that. He is working with his own characters. There's definitely some ego involved there, but this is actually one of his, I actually think this is a, one of the better scripted issues. It still has some of those Bendis issues that we've seen in the past, but it is, it is actually, it is actually better. And there's, at least we're moving it forward a little bit, you know, Again, not much. We're still, you know, we're still at the end where we were last issue. Last issue ended where we thought maybe Sinmar was going to be knocked unconscious by Superman. And now this issue ends with Superman confronting Sinmar. It's the same thing. It's just, but it's an issue drawn by a different artist just giving us a bunch of action sequences. But so in terms of story progression, we didn't get a lot of story progression, but yet, ironically enough, I actually I did enjoy this issue more than in previous issues. So, it is for for what it's worth. Um, uh, the Justice League Dark Backup, written by writer Ram V, artist Sumit Kumar, colorist Romulo Fajuto Jr. This is a uh, Drowned Secrets. This involves the Thirteenth Knight taking uh Randhir Singh. Who is, uh, who is, she's exploring the mind of Randhir Singh, who, uh, Batman, uh, helped the 13th Knight enter the mind of this Randhir Singh, who is a friend of the demon Etrigan, to basically help him fight through his, uh, through all, he's got to kill different versions of himself of his, in his mind in order to get out of his mind to get out of the traps in his mind to battle Merlin, who is currently at Atlantis trying to release powerful magics in the, in the, in the, uh, at Atlantis. Uh, artist there, Sumit Kumar does an amazing job. There's a, there's a fantastic two page spread where Sumit Kumar draws, draws, uh, Kendir's brain. And you can see he, he, out of, out of his, illustrated brain you can see segments of the brain where all these different universes of different versions of Randhir Singh are slowly being attacked and killed off and the 13th night is doing that on purpose because uh, it's the only way to bring Randhir Singh back so that there's only one of them in his mind so there's only one of himself occupying his mind and she's successful doing it and it actually works really well. Batman's watching the whole thing. He warns Randir. He said, "Look, you've been you've been under this sort of like mind manipulation for a long time. Your body is frail, and you're in the early stages of muscular atrophy. You got to relax." The Thirteenth Knights tell, reminds uh, reminds Batman that Randir is still still has the mind of a child in an old body, so his mind is still recovering. And Batman tells him. Look, Ren here, we need your help. Merlin is at the doors of Atlantis. 
We are already warned by Aquaman and the Justice League Dark that this would happen. We need your help. Rander says, I know what Merlin's after. We have to stop him. And and then it switches to Atlantis. And this is where uh, Kumar, uh, Sumit Kumar's art really takes off as well. Great action sequences in the bottom of the sea in Atlantis. Uh, battling Merlin. Very well done. And um, yeah, there's some interesting use of colors uh, with where we we see we witness we witness Atlantis getting slowly destroyed, citizens being attacked, and very well done. The the King's Guard of Atlantis and and Tempest prevent uh, prevent as much damage as they can. They rescue as many people as they can. Meanwhile, John Constantine. Uh, knows exactly what Merlin's trying to do, and he enters the the drowned city. And he's John Constantine intends on confronting Merlin in the dark world that lies beneath Atlantis, and that how that is that that issue ends. Uh, surprise, surprise, Jace. Uh, this is there's there's more story here that happens in eight pages of Justice League Dark than in the last two issues of of the Justice League under Bendis. <laughs> I'm sure that won't surprise you. <laughs> Can you hear me, bud? Yeah, sorry, I was still on mute. Uh, I said, <laughs> yeah, um, I mean, Rom V continues to give us a really interesting story with mostly B characters, so it's not it's not a surprise that he's leaning into the magical aspects and yeah, I mean, that's who these characters are, right? Yeah, I, uh, I gotta, I gotta tell you, I really hope that they come out with a. Uh, I, I want, I wish they, I want them to come out with a trade with just these Justice League dark stories, the, these these chapters because it deserves its own comic book. It really does. Yeah, I, I think they will because you know, just like we saw the announcement, they're going to collect the Wonder Woman uh, All Ages book. Which is a backup in, in Wonder Woman. I think you know, same size pack backups here. Uh, they probably won't collect them. I guess. Yeah, but well, uh, the next one, the next one is Crushing Lobo number three. And I got it. I got to tell you, Jace. I. Uh, <laughs> I, I called this one. This was actually fairly predictable. And uh, uh, I, you know, writer Marika Tamaki on Crush and Lobo number three, she actually does a... Okay, guys. Uh, looks like we... Uh, Temporarily lost, uh, Jace. He's uh, he's he's actually he's crossing over into Ariz uh, into Arizona from California. So I'm gonna probably finish these reviews myself, <laughs> and he can chime in at any time if he can. But uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna basically finish finish these reviews as best I can here, and uh, we will we will go from there. Uh, the the uh, Jumping into Crush and Lobo here, issue three. I got to tell you, uh, I, I'm not a big fan of, you know, first of all, I am a big fan of this 
of of this cover. This is a fantastic cover. I got the original cover back in the day, which I think what was it in the was it in the late eighties or nineties. This is what happens when you're like me and you've been connecting comic books for over four decades. After a while, it is possible to confuse a decade with another one. It happens. At least it happens in my life. Welcome to it, temporarily. In any event, bite me, fanboy. Fantastic cover, really great cover. Uh, this is uh, the art here is by uh, the the I don't know who who does the cover art here. The Marika Tamaki is the is the uh, writer. The artist is a man a manke Nahupen. And the cover is Bernard Shang. And the variant cover is by Carrie Randolph and Peter Steigerwald. And yeah, I can't say that I'm a big fan of the uh, of that second co- cover B, but you know, it is what it is. It's not bad. But I got to tell you, I-, I predicted the outcome of, of, of issue three. I-, I thought it was fairly obvious where this was going. And I, I'm, and because I, see, here's the thing. Crush is she's searching she wants to go and visit her dad in prison because she's crush has got a girlfriend and she's uh, she's going through girlfriend angst and she wants to visit daddy in prison i don't know does she figure what who on god's green earth thinks that talking to your dad lobo is going to give you some kind of insight into life your dad is lobo do you honestly believe you're going to come to any kind of realization when you talk you're not going to get any any profound insight talking to Lobo <laughs> just because he's your dad that's well in, in any event I get to say I told you so here and I I suppose maybe I almost feel like apologizing to, to Mariko Tamaki a little bit here because this issue is actually better than the, the first two I really don't like the flashbacks between uh Crush and her girlfriend I don't think her girlfriend is appropriate for the character because her girlfriend's just too perfect and nothing against her girlfriend it's just putting crush with a perfect girlfriend whose parents are billionaires and it just doesn't work but I love the concept here this the, the, the concept in this issue is crush ends up going to prison to talk to Lobo and they utilize the concept here that uh, uh, Lobo is a Zarian and crushes a Zarian too, but there's only there's only supposed to be one Zarian in the in the universe, and that's Lobo. And so there's only one DNA sample of any Zarian, and that would be Lobo. And the prison system, the prison is built upon recognizing the DNA code of all prisoners. And because Crush has the same DNA as her father, it ends up that Lobo just intentionally. Uh, wanted to have Crush come to the prison so that he could switch places with her and basically set her up so that by the end of this issue, Crush ends up in prison and Lobo ends up walking out of prison and the prison, uh, they can't tell the difference between, uh, in, as, as ridiculous as that sounds, the, the, the prison system can't tell the difference between Lobo and Crush, even though they visually look obviously very different. But for the white skin and the crazy eye makeup, the, the reality is that they, they identify prisoners on the basis of their genetic code. And since the, the Zarian genetic code is extremely apparently very unique, uh, Crush ends up getting, replacing her father. So she ends up unfortunately being cut in, in prison. And, uh, again, this has some, this has some cute moments here. Uh, you know, I, I think, you know, I, uh, 
Lomo basically tells her, look, you got no reason to trust me. I know I'm a homicidal terror and that's it. Uh, I, and that's that puts a lot on you, a lot of uh, baggage. And, you know, she seems to be pretty cool about it. But as Lobo tells her, you're the only person in this universe that I could even possibly give a nut about. Who would I give a nut about? <laughs> his left nut or his right nut? I don't know. Who would I have even a speck of interest in helping not repeat my effing past? Anyways, so Lobo is really pouring on the steam here. He's really trying his best to BS his daughter. And I'm not even sure if, if Crush really buys it. But she says, I'd say the possibility of my dad wanting to go on a journey of emotional discovery with his daughter is number two on my list of things that will never, ever happen. So Crush here is not completely naive. Um, and she's uh, she needs to think about what you know, some of the things her dad said, Lobo said. She wants to go grab a bite to eat. She goes right back. And uh, she goes into a vending machine. In any event... She ends up being, once she goes to the vending machine, she then is confronted by uh, by one of the, I guess, these automated robotic systems that identify her as a prison, as inmate number 2981, which was the same inmate number of Lobo. And it's it becomes quite clear that, you know, that she is uh, there to replace Lobo. That's the plan. That's Lobo's plan. And, uh, of course... Crush gets pretty angry here, takes it out on all these innocent robotic cre robotic <laughs> mechanisms. Uh, but it doesn't matter. She ends up in prison. Lobo ends up walking out. And I don't think Lobo give a gives a rat's butt. I actually like that because I don't think Lobo would care that his daughter's in prison either. Uh, he, he's pro he probably figures that she's going to live a long time anyway. She's eventually going to escape. He's probably not going to lose any sleep over it. As he says to her, see you later, kid. <laughs> and he basically gets in. He, you know, he steals a ride. And meanwhile, uh, Crush ends up in prison and where her dad is supposed to be. Overall, you know, again, Tamaki did a good job here. But I predicted this. This was actually a fairly predictable storyline. And... Um, and, but, you know, I like to think that, uh, and I'm not the only one that predicted this. I mean, I, I, I'm the guys at Weird Science, the guys I chat to, they also predicted this. Uh, this is a predictable storyline, but one that I, I think maybe works well for the, I hope they do something with this. It makes the story a little bit more interesting. Now she's going to probably escape from prison, have, there's going to be some more chaos and what have you. Um, I like this issue better because we didn't get a lot of the flashbacks. We got we got we got some flashbacks of Crush being late, showing up late for her her girlfriend's you know meeting her parents, missing the dates three times in a row, and all that nonsense. Again, I really don't care about that. I really care about. I enjoyed the humor and the nonsense between Lobo and Crush. That was by far the most enjoyable part of this issue. And yeah, so. You know, guys, this is the best of the issues so far, uh, of the three issues so far. It's still a miss for me, but I, I, I still, look, this comic book isn't for me. I've said that before, but Marika Tamaki is doing a good job here. She's, she does, she does have a handle on the whole teenage angst thing a little bit. She's, she has had some success with DC, uh, even though it's not, again, not my cup of tea. She, she does seem, DC does seem to like her writing those young, fictions and she did write I am I am not Starfire 
which has got mixed reviews. Uh, she also wrote uh, Breaking Glass, the Harley Quinn young adult fiction. So her writing crush with having some angst and some girlfriend issues is probably right in Marika Tamaki's wheelhouse. Uh, and uh, and she even does a reasonably good job of scripting a Lobo who's a jerk uh, of a father, which is exactly what he ought to be because he's Lobo. What do you expect? But hey, there you go. So, uh, all right. All right, so next, uh, next one on the list to review what we are going to jump to. We're going to jump to Batman 111. And I got to say, guys, Batman 111, a lot, uh, a lot in this issue. Uh, A lot happens in this issue. Uh, Writer James Tinian, uh, the fourth, I mean, I have I remain uh, I remain impressed with his Batman. More impressed, I know than than Chase has been. But I, I gotta say, man, uh, Tinian, I think all the all the character work that he has done in in creating this rich rogues gallery for Batman, it's just been fantastic. I mean, I'm I'm thoroughly enjoying this. I enjoyed Batman and Future State, and ironically enough, even though we know where Future State is going, we know. How, We've read the Batman Future State issues. We know that ultimately Bruce Wayne ends up being, you know, killed, although not really killed, but believed to be dead. Batman's sort of taken off the playing field. That we know that the Peacekeeper, Peacekeeper One, comes in, who is uh, Simon Saint, part of the Magistrate's forces. This is the origin of all that. And in Batman One Eleven here, what's really great is that we get all these things coming together. We got Batman and Ghostmaker coming off the heels of last issue trying to rescue Miracle Molly and the Unsanity Collective that uh, who are being attacked by the Magistrate Peacekeeper forces because they're the the goal here of the of Simon Saint is to manipulate Marinagano into believing that the Unsanity Collective is the are the people responsible for all the chaos that's going on in Gotham City when it's really the forces of the magistrate Simon Saint that are stoking it, as well as the Scarecrow, and they're they're creating a lot of fear, and they're blaming the un- they're blaming the Unsanity Collective when it's really not them at all. It's just Simon Saint, the magistrate, m- m- manipulating things and Scarecrow manipulating things, and this issue, uh, I, I got to say, this uh, one of the things that what I really liked about here and where this issue is going to stand out is, you know, is in particular with, with Miracle Molly. And first I got to give a shout out here. This, uh, Lucio Perillo does a variant cover for the suicide squad movie for Batman One Eleven. It is absolutely gorgeous. It has Harley Quinn on it, the polka dot man. And ah, damn, I'm not even sure who that other woman is. Is that, I'm not sure who that is. Is that that rat woman or whatever the hell? I'm not sure. But in any event, looks fantastic. <laughs> looks fantastic. I haven't seen them. Obviously, it's uh, these. Co- I'm reviewing right now uh, comic books that came out for that will be coming out August 3rd. Uh, Suicide Quam comes out August 6th. And wow. My God, Lucio Perillo, fantastic art. But in any event, uh, wow, we got uh, fantastic uh, cover covers here for Batman 111 but we got we got the scarecrow here reminding Batman that you know he's in charge that 
uh, sort of taunting Batman. Meanwhile, the magistrate's forces, the peacekeepers, uh, have already confronted Miracle Molly, and this young child who is in front of Miracle Molly is a, I, I believe this child is a, uh, is a transgender person because uh, Miracle Molly refers to the child as, with the pronoun they, and so if I say they, hopefully you won't be confused. But the 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 child is a is a transgender child that Miracle Molly is trying to save, and Miracle Molly seems to have a power that Miracle Molly seems to be able. One of her eyes seems to be electronic, and she tells the this young child to stay calm and don't do anything stupid. They're not going to hit you, and Miracle Molly. The, the, the sequence here, beautiful art by uh, artist uh, Jorge Jimenez, but it's a little bit unclear as to what happens here. It look, I thought at first that uh, somebody had sh- that one of the peacekeepers had shot Miracle Molly in the back of the head, but I think she caused the gun to shoot because Miracle Molly, I guess, she, she could tell the gun was going to, or maybe she could tell the gun was going to shoot and, and she avoided being shot in the head. And she took her friend and her friend apparently has the power to create a sonic blast, a sonic cry. And her transgender friend, and I'm not even sure what her friend's name is, uh, uh, just keeps calling her kid. Hey, Squeak, she calls her Squeak. So the kid's name is Squeak. Squeak has a sonic cry. And they escape the magistrate's forces and they essentially uh, try to run away from the magistrate's forces with the help of, a, of another person named Breaker, who is a member of the Insanity Collective. And this Breaker character attacks the peacekeepers. And But ultimately, this uh, Breaker, who while he helps Miracle Molly and Squeak get away, the fact is that they still need more help and they end up getting shot. Squeak ends up getting shot and... It's really unfortunate. So Squeak is shot and is dying and needs help. The other men, members of the Insanity Collective uh, need help. They need rescue. And fortunately, uh, there's a great scene where one of the end of, one of the members of the Insanity Collective says, I don't know who could possibly save us. And it's a perfect setup for the next gorgeous two-page spread where it shows Ghostmaker, Batman, and Harley Quinn showing up to save the day. It's very well done. It's absolutely beautifully rendered. Beautiful two-page spread with Harley Quinn swearing, that's right, you bastards. You don't mess with the Bat family unless you want to get hit with a big effing bat. Uh, of course, the swear words, the, the lettering is all done. Whenever there's a swear word, there's little bat symbols where the swear words would be. So that's that's kind of comical there. And it's perfect coming out of Harley Quinn's mouth. Beautiful sequence here, beautifully laid out. And and Harley Quinn is working well with Batman. Uh, they're being attacked by drones. Fortunately, they got Ghostmaker with them. And uh, they, they, managed to, they managed to get the insanity collective out of there. But the problem here is that Marinagano now thinks that all that, that Batman is working with the insanity collective. So Batman is now being judged as working with the bad guys. And this is really unfortunate because all this is being, this was all a setup. It looks like this was all a setup to make Batman look bad, to make the Batman family look bad. And that's just, and that's exactly, unfortunately what happens is that, you know, these drones that are flying around, uh, they tape all this. And Marinagano goes on TV and says effective immediately, 
He's expanding the authority of the magistrate to dismantle all costume crime and vigilantism in Gotham. So that's it's at that moment where where being a vigilante in Gotham becomes illegal by declaration, by unilateral declaration of Mayor Nagano. And that's that's what we saw play out in the pages of Future State and that we still see playing out in the pages of Future State Gotham with uh, with Red Hood. And in any event, Simon Saint looks on here and uh, Simon Saint is quite proud or happy with himself. Meanwhile, they're working on Ghostmakers trying to stop the bleeding on young Squeak, but they still need to get Squeak to a hospital. Batman, of course, Batman always has a plan and... Uh, Batman says to Harley and Ghostmaker, I need to, I need you to get the Insanity Collective somewhere safe and out of sight until we get them to testify against that uh, against Simon Saint because Simon Saint paid the Insanity Collective to uh, to attack the ro- to to ferment all the robberies that started all of it to show that it was all part of the plan. Simon Saint orchestrated all of this uh, nonsense that Batman and the Insanity Collective are essentially getting blamed for even though the Insanity Collective, in fact, did that voluntarily, their purpose was more, uh, shall we say, benevolent than, than, than the malevolency of Simon Saint and the Magistrate. In any event, it's quite clear that uh, looking at, on, at all this is the Scarecrow, and the Scarecrow betrays Simon Saint. And surprise, surprise, the Scarecrow not only betrays Simon Saint, but he betrays the Peacemaker, and Scarecrow incapacitates the Peacemaker, and also, it would appear ca- cause something to go wrong with Simon Saint. I don't know if it's poison, if he poisons Simon Saint or what. But clearly, the Scarecrow ends up being the one in charge, just as Batman falls in front of the Scarecrow, and that's how this part six of the Cowardly Lot ends. Overall, you know, this was an action-packed issue. Uh, again. James Tiny in the fourth man is just, he's done a really good job here. The art here is fantastic. I think this is going to read so well as a trade. I don't, I don't understand people that are saying that they, that, you know, the, the complaints, uh, I, the action here is fantastic. I mean, it, it's, it's high paced. It's action packed. It's got gravitas. Even though we know where it ends up with future state, this, this journey getting there is an absolute adrenaline rush. And again, Future State, I, I understand that criticism because I've even made it. But look, this is a good enough story that you can still really enjoy the journey getting to Future State because we still don't know how they get out of Future State. You know, we have, we got, you know, <laughs> it's the journey getting there that is the most, I think, the most fascinating because we get to meet all these new characters. I mean, Miracle Molly is fascinating as hell. Squeak is a character. It's impossible not to love uh, little little Squeak. Uh, sh- uh, not she, but uh, they is a, is an interesting new character, and yeah, guys. I mean, I don't know. Tell me, guys. Leave me in the leave some comments below. Uh, those listening on the podcast, I you know, uh, feel free to <laughs> check out the YouTube ch- version of this and leave a comment. But I'm loving Batman. This is uh, this is great. And again, I apologize to listeners of uh, who are expecting that Jace can give some uh, some counterpoints to what I'm saying here, his point of view. Unfortunately, he's tied up on the drive between. Uh, uh, he's in the driving through Arizona right now, getting home. And if he links in, he can link in. But if not, I'll be. Uh, you'll have to listen to my stellar voice. <clears throat> I say with sarcasm for the remainder of these reviews. But we just want to get them to you as. Uh, 
as uh, as we can here. But yeah, so that's how that Batman issue ends. Now, the Ghostmaker back up here, this was one of the... I think this is actually one of the better ones here. A lot of people don't like Ghostmaker. Uh, I personally really enjoy Ghostmaker. This the the back the backups to this. James Tynion has had a lot of fun creating a rogues gallery for Ghostmaker and just throwing a bunch of new characters and new villains at Ghostmaker and exploring the origins of each of the various villains of Ghostmaker's rogues gallery in the backup features to this Batman. And this is essentially the, I think this is the sixth chapter of the Ghostmaker backup taking place on Devil Skull Island where Madame Midas is the villain here that Ghostmaker wants to take down Madame Midas. And, and <laughs> I got to say the, uh, uh, in, in this particular one, we get, we get the origin of this, of this, uh, of this other villain, and I'm not even sure what his name is, but he he seems to he seems to have this gift for this this villain is immortal and has was always fascinated with death, but he was he was defeated by Ghostmaker because Ghostmaker also has died before. Uh, we don't know how or why, but Ghostmaker of course defeats this other character and and he, and this other character is telling Madame Midas, "Look, man, you." you're not going to defeat Ghostmaker that way. I mean, you could, the last issue, the last time we saw Ghostmaker in the backup, Madame Midas, Madame Midas had dropped a building on him, but we know that Ghostmaker would escape that. And of course, all the, all the villains of Ghostmaker that, that are there with Madame Midas, who Madame, Madame Midas set them all up. They don't want to fight Ghostmaker because he's too capable an opponent, but it looks like next issue, which will be in the Batman annual number one, it's going to be concluded. So Ghostmaker's finally going to confront all of his rogues gallery uh, once and for all in Batman annual number one. And I'm looking forward to it. It's a lot of fun. One thing about uh, uh, the art here, uh, Ricardo Lopez Ortiz, the artist on these Ghostmaker backups, it's a very, very stylistic, unique kind of art. It might not be for everybody, but it definitely grows on you the more you, you know, especially now by the, you know, this was the fifth chapter of this backup, not the sixth, like I'd said earlier. It actually, I think it works very well. I, I'm actually fascinated by Madame Midas. I think that, I do think that James Tynion maybe, maybe makes all these villains and rogues for Ghostmaker perhaps a little bit too simplistic. And I think, People have criticized that about those ass his villains that he's sort of like he's just creating them and he's just throwing them at the wall. It's like throwing something at a wall, hoping something's going to stick. I'm actually more forgiving than that. Uh, I, I say again what James Tynion said in his first newsletter that he sends out to uh, people who subscribe to his newsletter. He says he wants to keep things simple and he thinks that he thinks that a lot of writers tend to try to overcomplicate things. And my interpretation of that is that he wants to keep things simple. In terms of just, you know, create, create a character, put the character out there, watch the character grow. And that's, you know, you know, don't insult the, the reader, keep things simple. And the complexity will, will come with the character as the character moves forward. And as those characters evolves and other evolve and other writers write them. That's what I think is happening with this. People are going to look back on Tinian's Batman and on his Ghostmaker and say, they're going to remember these stories as being probably better than they actually are. But these are the classic days. These are the early days. 
uh, because remember, guys, when the Joker premiered on the Riddler, when the Riddler premiered, when the Penguin and Catwoman and Poison Ivy premiered, those weren't exactly stellar first appearances by any stretch of the imagination. And these first appearances by these villains that James Tynion has put out are substantially better. I would say some of them are just are are great, are good to great. And I, I do think he gets, he deserves far more credit than he's been getting in some quarters here. It's not just something is killing the children and department of truth, uh, that he's, uh, doing a great job. It's also on Batman. And, uh, that's my opinion on that, but all right. So, uh, continuing on now, there is, what am I missing here? Oh, yes, we have to have, we got to check out something else here. Nice house on the lake. Well, guys, I got to tell you, uh, nice house on the lake, number three. I just want to, uh, I want to bring something up here because what I have in front of me now, for those of you who are listening to this as a podcast, what I'm showing on the screen here is the cover, the third printing, the one in 25 third printing of the first issue of Nice House on the Lake. And it's it's fantastic because what it actually shows, and I touched it up a little bit, but it shows all the characters of, of James Tynion's Nice House on the Lake because it consists of, there's eight characters. There's this alien called Walter. And of course, he's got eight friends. Now, his friends didn't know that Walter was an alien. But throughout Walter's life, he has befriend, befriended eight different people. Uh, he's befriended the artist, the acupuncturist, the reporter, the writer, the scientist, the accountant, the comedian, the pianist, the doctor, and the consultant. And he's, throughout his life, he's, he's met them, he's befriended them, he's, he, they've become his, he's been there for them, this guy named Walter. And so when the, he, and the reason why he did that, and the premise of Nice House on the Lake is that he invites them all out to a nice house on the lake for a weekend for actually seven days. And he's got, he's actually got an agenda for them for seven days. And of course, at the beginning of the week, the world ends. The world is utterly, completely, utterly destroyed. <laughs> and that's quite something, obviously. Now, what's fascinating here, what makes it a, what makes it a horror is that Walter is kind of an eerie guy. And by the time we get into the third issue here, it's clear that some things are, shall we say, are, are, things are getting more and more interesting because they're starting to be uh, fractions in the group. Because some members of this group, I mean, for example, one member of the group here, Sam Nugent, uh, the reporter, he he basically, he wants... He wants to get to the bottom of this. He wants to get to the bottom of this nice house on the lake because he's frustrated as hell because he figures, my God, we, we got to, uh, we, guys, we can't just sit here and enjoy this even though they got all the amenities, anything they want. They got all the food they want. It's beautiful. It's a gorgeous house on the lake. But they, they you know, Sam is thinking to himself, good Lord, we 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 have to get out of here. Like we, we have to look, we have to, we have to see what, we have to see what we can do to get the hell out of here. And, and that's where things in this issue three, things start to ramp up a little bit because uh, now the issue starts off with Sam, uh, the reporter, he's on a boat and he's talking about how Walter was back in high school. And 
Walter, uh, he recalls that at times in high school, Walter would call call him and ask him to make sure that uh, some of the other friends, uh, Norm, the writer, and Ronnie were Norman. Their other friends, their mutual friends, Norman, Ronnie, were okay. Walter w- would routinely do that. Uh, Sam basically narrates the fact that Walter would often reach out to each of them whenever they would feel, whenever his life would feel out of control uh, in any way. Walter always seemed to show up and. Whenever Wal- he, Sam's in, Sam's instinct tell him that whenever Walter's life or whenever Walter felt overwhelmed, Walter would call them himself, and Walter would often overcompensate for them. Walter, and you get a sense of that here. Walter is overcompensating because he's he wants to help all his friends because after all, he wants to save them, and he wants to save them from from the end of the world. Walter is this alien. He's protecting them. He's sheltering them in this nice house on the lake. And but meanwhile, what's fascinating here is you know, you know, Sam, the reporter, he wants he wants them to he wants to convince other people to help him find you know just to, to explore to to find out how the hell to get out of there to find out more about the outside world. But the obstacle that he has is other people. In particular, there's a guy named, there's Rick, Rick of the group. Rick is content. He just wants to drink beers. He wants to boat. He wants to watch Disney movies. And other people want to join him. I mean, this is already, this is their second or third day. And some of the members of the group, they've already resigned themselves to the fact that the world's ended. The world's ended. But hey, we got beer. We got steak. We got movies. We got Disney movies. We got any book we want to read. We got any movie we want. What's the big deal? I mean, we, we can't change the end of the world. It's already happened. You know, meanwhile, Sam, the reporter, he goes out and he discovers, uh, you know, he, he's sickened and he's disgusted by, by these other, by, by his, his friends that don't want to find out more. Cause he even says, are you freaking kidding me? He says, you guys are going to sit here and, uh, and, uh, you know, Rick, Rick says to him, well, look, so just take a day off. And, uh, but Sam can't do that. And so Sam takes off and he ends up meeting, uh, uh, another, uh, another person of the group, the artist who's drawing all these symbols because throughout, throughout the book, there are these different statues with different shapes on them. And whenever you touch these statues, you you see an image of what happened to your family. You get an image of how your family died out in the world, real world. That's the horror aspect of this. It's kind of eerie. Walter's kind of an eerie character. Walter, the host, he comes and goes, but he and he's he's clearly an alien, and his body you can they hit Walter in the head at the end of the first issue, and he doesn't die. His body just warps. Meanwhile, if you touch certain objects, which are strategically appear to be strategically placed around the nice house on the lake these objects cause you to re- cause you to see images of your loved ones dying in the real world being wiped out in armageddon essentially which is what's happened to the rest of the world very freaky very uh, very off-putting meanwhile sam goes and surrounding the nice house on the lake there they appear to be inside a barrier of some kind that becomes very obvious and the barrier slightly stings Sam's hand. And so he sees that something's amiss. Also in the background, it's very eerie. We, the reader, can see Walter, the host, 
the alien host, spying on Sam. Walter has already befriended a number of the other friends who are on Walter's side because Walter very much, he doesn't want anybody to mess with anything. It's basically just enjoy the nice house on the lake. But it's really odd. What happens when this week is up? Because we discovered last issue that Walter actually created a a timeline for everyone, but it ends after one week at the sev- at the end of the seventh day. What's going to happen at the end of the seventh day? Interestingly enough, Sam uses a stick and touches the barrier and he's walking around the lake and he's trying to trace its boundaries to see if he can find anything. And basically what he discovers, well, he doesn't really discover anything, but he, he starts to take notes and he, he discovers, uh, he's not sure, uh, if they, he sees birds, but he asks, can we eat the birds? Why do the full circles, what do the, why do some of the statues have full circles? Others have partial circles. Um, you know, there, there's no obvious crops or herbs. He's not really sure about what kind of plants there are that surround them are. Uh, he finds sometimes when you, when you walk near a sculpture, sometimes there, if you walk near one sculpture, it would cancel out all noise while other sculptures, while, while, while in others there'd be a humming sound. Things were really off and it's, um, quite, um, He's taken all these notes. Now, as far as what comes of it, he comes across he comes across something very odd, almost like a a giant chess piece, and he sees all these strange objects strategically placed on this board that looks like the same shape as the lake, and on the board he can see that at at the one end of the lake is a is a representation of the nice house on the lake. And it's, he, he finds it very curious and he doesn't know what to make of it, but he's scared and he's pissed off and he sees Walter always in the background, sort of spying on him. And he says, you know, you know, um, you know, he's wondering what the hell is going on. And, um, meanwhile, Reg, another member of the house is trapped and he can see, he can see Sam, but Sam apparently can't see him, but Walter can. So it's really eerie. So this, what, what, what James Tynion does so well here is that this, what makes the nice house on the lake so fascinating is that this is really a paradise for those who wish to enjoy it as a paradise. But for those who wish to ignore the paradise and walk around, there are things that can terrify you. And it's interesting that Sam is choosing to go on the very hunts that terrify him. Whereas guys like Rick just want to sit there, drink beer and watch Disney movies. Like, I mean, it's, it's very interesting. You get the different character templates here. Now I know what I would be doing if I was in the nice house on the lake and it would involve a beer and a Disney movie. If I'm honest, it probably wouldn't be a Disney movie. I might even watch a horror movie. <laughs> I wonder if, I wonder if they got comic books. I mean, Walter stockpiled that nice house on the lake. Did he put comic books in it? I hope so. Anyways, I would check this out. Nice house on the lake. This is completely fascinating. This would make an absolutely fantastic Netflix movie or Amazon for Amazon for whatever streaming service. This is really, really good. Uh, it ends up Sam gets back to the uh, nice house on the lake 
and he's questioned by his lover, the acupuncturist. <laughs> I call these guys by what they do for a living. Uh, and uh, and it, it looks as if Sam figures he's going to, I found out all I was going to find, now let's go home. Sam plans to fully go home. He wants to go home, and that's just how Sam feels about it, and that's just the way it's going to be. Now, um, it is fascinating here that every every one of the people that are in the nice house on the lake, they have a symbol in front of them. If you if you look on the cover of the third printing of issue one, uh, each one has their own symbol. Each individual house guest of the nice house on the lake has their own symbol associated with them, which is very fascinating, which isn't obvious to me when you read the comic, but it's on the 1 in 25 ratio cover of the third printing of issue 1, which unfortunately I can't get because my retailer's not ordering enough copies. I wish it was just the ordinary third printing. Uh, that was a strategic error, I think, on James Tinian's part because it's a fantastic cover and it should be part of the... Uh, part of the comic as far as I'm concerned or part of the cover but in any event uh guys uh, check out uh, it, it's it's great uh ice, nice house on the lake high grade again and again just for the guys who would maybe jumping ahead Jace is somewhere you know he's lost he's driving in, he's driving home from Arizona and the coverage isn't too good so I got to review most of these myself so <laughs> you got to grin and bear it but in any event guys nice house on the lake it was a great issue definitely one of the better issues of the week so far now Next issue, we are going to check out Green Lantern. Green Lantern number five. Now, what's there to say about Green Lantern number five? Well, this is an issue that, uh, first of all, the cover of this issue is 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 actually, it's gorgeous. It, it has uh, Joe Mulane, the Green Lantern, on the bottom, sort of flying toward what looks like the entire Sinestro Corps. And it looks like she's about to get her... Uh, it looks like she's about to get her uh, butt handed to her. But uh, in any event, th this issue, I, I would say, not a. I didn't find really a lot happened here. But uh, again, I'm I'm impressed enough with uh, Jeffrey Thorne that um, writer Jeffrey Thorne does a, an, enough here to to move this story forward enough that um, it's fascinating enough. Now. Last issue ended with Teen Lantern being so upset that the that the Oa was destroyed and that the central battery was destroyed that Teen Lantern blames Sinestro. So she wants to fly towards she wants to fly and attack essentially she wants to attack and kill Sinestro. Now Teen Lantern, she's only like what, ten years old? I don't know why she would be doing that, but basically that's what she does. And and this issue basically consists of primarily that there's there, there's two things there's there's teen lantern tr attempting to attack sinestro and pretty much the entire sinestro core and she this teen lantern actually holds her own which i find quite shocking but there's actually some pretty good artistic sequences here uh, by, uh, but well, I guess by multiple artists here, Tom Rainey, uh, Marco Santucci and Andy, uh, Andy McDo Mc McDonald, they did a, actually a, a decent job here. 
Uh, again, uh, I just want to give a shout out to the Suicide Squad movie uh, cover, uh, which has Polka Dot Man on it, uh, Savant, and not even sure who that other, the guy with the stuff talked to his brain. Anyways, <laughs> man, I, I'm so glad I got all these Suicide Squad covers. They're awesome. A great cover B, a uh, great cover B. I'm not sure which artist that is, but a great cover B artist of uh, of uh, Joe Mulane, the Green Lantern. And the opening sequence here, Jeffrey Thorne must really think Sinestro has a great life because Sinestro wakes up from having a threesome here. It's called, this, this issue is called the Standard Model. And it shows Sinestro here with two aliens, you know, he's surrounded by two aliens. And uh, clearly Sinestro has no problem benefiting from the fact that he is a Yellow Lantern, that he is a Sinestro Corps member. I mean, let's face it, when you have a yellow ring and you name the entire Corps after yourself, you know things are going very well. Uh, but... Uh, Something catches Sinestro's eye as he's laying in bed with two alien women. And he goes out and he discovers that, yes, his fellow Sinestro Corps members are being brutally attacked by none other than Teen Lantern, who is just creating constructs out of her ass. I mean, she's doing a phenomenal job. I mean, this Teen Lantern, she knows what she's doing. Uh, in fact, they have to alert the alert the elite guard of the Sinestro Corps to stop Teen Lantern. And they're unsuccessful doing it. She does an amazing job. She's just so pissed off. Well, finally, uh, finally, the, the big guns, uh, Arkillo and, uh, Arkillo, and I, I can't remember all the names of the various members of the Sinestro Corps. Arkillo is the only one I can remember here. But uh, in any event, they they attack her. And, uh, and surprisingly enough, she holds her own pretty damn good. And it ends up that a member of the Sinestro Corps ends up, uh, ends up helping Teen Lantern and telling her to get the hell off the planet before she ends up getting, getting herself killed. And the member that helps her, I'm not sure who this member is. I think it's Jessica Cruz. I think it's Jessica Cruz, and this this individual. Uh, uh, I'm pretty sure it's Jessica Cruz because Jessica Cruz did, I believe, become a member of the Sinestro Corps. Ended up with a yellow ring. I can't remember what issue that was. You guys can let me know in the chat or those listening on the podcast. Maybe you can ponder that or Google that. But I can't remember. It wasn't a previous issue where Jessica Cruz became a member of the uh, Sinestro Corps. Uh, but she's not identified here, and I'm not really sure why. Or maybe it was in a future state issue. That's why they're playing it so close to the vest, because she doesn't reveal to Teen Lantern that she's Jessica Cruz. But you can tell it's Jessica Cruz because they always give Jessica Cruz the one little eye. They always get make the uh, Green Lantern, or in this case, the Sinestro symbol, appear in front of Jessica Cruz's eye, and they're doing that here too. In any event, uh, this issue was actually pretty good because it has Teen Lantern. It explores young uh, Teen Lantern's fears. And in this case, it's established that Teen Lantern's fears is being alone because she lost her, her mother and she has, uh, you know, and it goes through the different types of fear that sort of uh, make up the Sinestro core and what the Sinestro core can bring out. And, and, 
it's interesting that Jessica Cruz utilizes the ring to try to explore what Teen Lantern's fear is and ultimately helps uh, helps the Teen Lantern get off the planet. Uh, and uh, I think it was... Somebody's wearing some armor here, and I think that's I think that's Simon Biez wearing that armor is there to rescue her. Uh, I would have thought it would have been uh, Joe Mielian, but I, I guess it's Simon Biez is there to help get get her off, get Teen Lantern off Karagar, new Karagar, and Jessica Cruz helps him get off Karagar, and because she does, he she doesn't want. Uh, she doesn't want them to be hurt or attacked by the Sinestro Corps members that are quickly going to attack them. So that's how that issue ends, and it was it was a very well it was a very well drawn issue. Uh, it was uh, I was impressed. I I thought it, I thought it was interesting. We didn't really reveal much though, uh, but we did maybe get a little bit of backstory, a little bit of some hints as about Teen Lanterns, what she fears. She's lost. She lost her mother. It looks like, and she uh, she's had some trauma as a child. It's interesting now. What what is Jessica Cruz up to? Uh, if she's now a Sinestro Corps member, uh, yeah, I'm not. This seemed to be almost like a, a waste of time. Why all this time going to New Car New Caragar for what purpose? Well, it appears to be even though it appears to be just for the purpose of showing that to introduce Jessica Cruz, I guess. Or this new Yellow Lantern, because really, not a lot happens here. It's just Teen Lantern sh throwing a tantrum, and then we jump ahead to the planet that John Stewart is on, where uh, essentially D John Stewart is being blamed for uh, is being blamed uh, for the uh, for what's happened to the the planet, uh, even though John Stewart helped. Uh, help matter and her daughter Elo and the other citizens of this planet, uh, you know, defeat the slavers that were enslaving them. Uh, they they're worried. They think they blame John Stewart for what happened, and he actually even says, "Yeah, it is my fault because the slavers actually are looking for lanterns. They're looking to collect rings, and they've already killed three hundred lantern, three hundred green lanterns, because these slavers have collected already three hundred green lantern rings out of one thousand green lantern core members in the dark sector. There's only uh, seven hundred remaining, uh, but they're the slavers are hunting them down, and ultimately, uh, John Stewart takes the. Uh, takes you know they they manage to get all the uh members of matter and elo's peoples off the planet and take them back to the to the green lantern headquarters uh, in the dark sector but the remaining lanterns are some of them one in particular is very angry at john stewart because uh she blames john stewart for basically being you know, a bad quest leader because they were on a quest to the dark sector and he's the quest leader. And Jon Stewart has failed to protect 300 of their own, having lost them. And uh, the issue ends with a distress call from, with a distress call uh, from uh, Kilowog. Kilowog, yes. 
Kilowog is being attacked by the slavers and that it ends with that. So next issue, we can expect expect some uh, rescue missions and I guess some may, maybe more intriguing developments with Teen Lantern because it's very interesting what Jeffrey Throne is doing here. The We got very different artistic styles between what happened on New Karagar, uh, between Tom Rainey, Mary the Santucci, and Annie McDonald. Very different artistic styles throughout this I- issue, but it actually works it because you know that what's happening on planet on the planet is different than what's happening in space and on new Karagar. So we got we got three different settings here, actually four. Very well done artistically. I think it works well. Uh, Jeffrey Thorne does a good job. Jeffrey Thorne does a good job transitioning from scene to scene. It's easy to read, it's easy to follow. You can see the stakes are slowly being built. There's still not a lot of plot progression on the destruction of Oa and what's going to happen with the Green Lantern Corps in the in the uh, in the in the primary Milky Way sector. Uh, and so the Green Lantern Corps is already in crisis because they've been replaced by the United Order in the in the normal universe, and now that in the Dark Sector, the one thousand of them, uh, there's only seven hundred remaining. So. Again, Jeffrey Thorne is creating a story with a lot of stakes here, and there's a lot of moving parts. And so far, I'm in for the ride. He's done a pretty decent job. So kudos to him. Now, continuing on, my actually my favorite of the week, actually, is Brian Azzarello's Suicide Squad Get Joker, man. This surprised me. This really surprised me. I... I absolutely loved this. I thought this was this was a real pleasant surprise. I got to tell you guys, you know, uh, I think it was Bleeding Cool leaked a few pages of this a while back, and it actually showed a scene with uh, the character Wild Dog making what some people complained was, you know, a political commentary because Wild Dog, you know, his character in this story. It, it, is taken completely out of context in the in the ad, in the pre- preview and the advertisement for it on Bleeding Cool, where basically Wild Dog claims to be he led the insurrection, and it does he doesn't say what insurrection, but because of our current politics, one could assume it was the insurrection on January sixth, and in actual fact, when you read the story, it's really not that big a deal. Wild Dog is just somebody who is anti-government. He doesn't like being, he's like a free, he's like a, he's one of those free persons. He believes in, you know, he believes, he believes in a lot of conspiracy stuff and he doesn't like being regulated by the government or told what to do by the government. It's not quite as, uh, I mean, it's, it is perfectly in keeping with Wild Dog's character. Brian Ezreiler does a fantastic job with Wild Dog. He's one of the most interesting characters in this story. He's actually very good. This is an, excellent comic and input and this is actually a comic about jason todd i can't believe how interesting this is because this starts this entire issue this this issue is really this is a glorified jason todd story this issue starts off with jason todd in jail He's in jail and he's reminiscing about how he got there. And he talks about how he's the second, you know, he's the second Robin, you know, the bad one. And and how he he reminisces about the fact that uh, he's in jail. So he's got a lot of think, time to think on his hands. And Jason Todd's killed a lot of people. Now, this is clearly a tale that's out of continuity. 
At least it's fair to assume that. It's out of continuity. Uh, and Jason Todd has in this in the universe that this story takes place, and he's killed a lot of people, obviously. And because he's killed a lot of people, <laughs> he gets the attention, naturally, of Jason's favorite character, Amanda Waller. And I got to tell you, man, this is a... Um, this is where this story really starts to uh, get interesting because the character work here that Brian Azzarello does for Jason Todd as he's, as he's thinking about his life and he's sitting there in prison cell and he's, you know, he, he, Brian Azzarello is making it very clear what type of person Jason Todd is. Jason Todd is a killer. Jason Todd was also killed himself by the Joker. And as he said, he died. And it's a nice way of saying that I was murdered. Uh, Alex Maleev on the art. This is uh, some of Alex Maleev. I got a better, I got a good appreciate, a better appreciation of his art here than I do than in the pages of Checkmate. Uh, Brian Bendis has done a terrible job testing Alex Maleev's skills in Checkmate because nothing ever happens in Checkmate, and it's boring as hell. Brian Azzarello knows how to work with Alex Maleev much better because he tests and he pushes Alex Maleev to be a better artist. And Matt Hollingsworth on the coloring, fantastic job. Jared Flesher, a letterer, fantastic job. The art here really is good. We get the background here of Jason Todd. And I got to tell you, for, for people, now, probably the first five or six pages are all giving you the background of Jason Todd and he's talking about himself and his history. But it, it really sets things up. This is, uh, this reads, this is cinematic. This has a cinematic feel to it. Jason Todd here, he's in prison. He's in prison and he's being, of course, he's attacked routinely, but he's got no problem being attacked. He's Jason Todd. He's been trained by Batman. He can handle his own. And ultimately, he ends up meeting with Amanda Waller. And Amanda Waller basically says, no, Amanda Waller wants to hire him to kill the Joker. That's, that's the job. Kill the Joker. And Amanda Waller seems to know a lot about Jason Todd. Jason Todd. In fact, she even joked to him that she knew what she, you know, she, you know, uh, she, that she basically, she knew what color shit was. I mean, I mean, basically she knows the contours of the toilet bowl that he takes a dump in. I mean, she knows everything about him. And he, she tells him, look, Task Force X, Suicide Squad, you know, our job is we're going to take out the Joker, uh, killing the man that killed you. That's what she's saying. That's the offer. And it's a, let's face it, it's an offer that Jason Todd, I mean, he can't refuse that. I mean, at first he kind of talks smart, but the fact of the matter is, I mean, she knows. She says, I know if you look in the bowl after you take a shit. Uh, and... Um, he obviously, he takes her up on the offer and and what's great here is a lot of this is predictable in that it, you know, it shows Jason Todd getting suited up, you know, meeting the rest of the Suicide Squad team. A lot of this is sort of by the numbers. It might seem a little bit tropey, but it, it plays out so smoothly. The scene transitions are flawless. Brian Azzarello scripts it perfectly. The dialogue is absolutely spot on. There's a great two-page spread here that uh, for those watching on YouTube here, you're only, you're only seeing the middle of the page, the middle third of it. 
for those listening on the podcast, this two-page spread is fantastic because it, it has Jason Todd being spoken to by Amanda Waller as she describes who all her new Suicide Squad Task Force X teammates are. They consist of Firefly, the Silver Banshee, Pebbles, who's a military strong guy, uh, Meow Meow, who is, uh, that's her name. She's a necrotic. She's from Tokyo. She can kill the cells of anything she touches. Plastique is a terrorist that can, anything she touches explodes. Wild Dog, who is sort of like an anti-government terrorist. And uh, there's a young uh, Yonder Man, who is a teleporter. And of course, there's Harley Quinn. And there's a there's a great uh, sequence here. I mean, Harley Quinn talks at length to um, Jason Todd, trying to you know psychoanalyze him. And uh, again, the dialogue here is just so good. And you know, you just want to keep you, you want to keep reading this because the job here is to kill the Joker, and that's what's so fascinating about this. But they got to locate the Joker, and they end up going, they end up being dropped off uh, at a place in uh, Gotham where there's a contact in Gotham that will tell them where they can find the Joker. And uh, <laughs> and the, the individual that they're being dropped off uh, is, ends up being the Toy Man. Now, right away, there's dissension in, the, in, the suic- in this eclectic group of suicide squatters because... Wild Dog and Silver Banshee, they hate the fact that Jason Todd, who they consider to be a rookie, uh, that he's going to be leading the team. That pisses them off already. Jason Todd seems caught off guard. He, Jason Todd apparently didn't know about the bomb in the head thing we got when he got injected. Uh, he says, what the hell was that? <laughs> and uh, that's why the rest of this team knows that Jason Todd is obviously a rookie. What do you mean? You don't know about the bombs in the head? <laughs> That's kind of an in thing with the Suicide Squad, but in any event, they're they're gonna go and they're gonna they gotta track down they track down end up tracking down the 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 Toy Man. Now, where this really works is where this opening issue works so well is they're in the helicopter and the conversation in the helicopter is so great. The way the the banter back and forth between everyone in the copter is just spot on entertaining as hell and in fact one of the best con- sequences is when they're talking to wild dog and 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 they're shaking their head with wild dog wild dog is just that crazy wild dog is just you know wild dog thinks that he's oppressed and uh you know what the hell what the f happened to freedom in this country kimosabi are you serious and Wild Dog says, like a heart attack with a broken leg. And, uh, you know, what does that even mean, dude? I mean, you, you got uh, other characters. are. It's You get a sense that Wild Dog is off his rocker. And that's intentional. And it works. This really, it's, this really works. And, you know, I, I love the dialogue. They're in the copter. They're approaching the drop zone. They dump down. They get there. They get shot at. They get they get beat up. They get attacked. <laughs> they end up meeting Toy Man, and Toy Man, you know, Toy Man seems to know exactly what's going on. He knows he knows where uh, he recognizes Red Hood. He knows what the mission is for, and 
Um, he seems surprised that they seem so unprepared and they end up getting attacked by Russians. Now, this doesn't seem to surprise the toy man, but it surprises the hell out of Red Hood and the rest of the squad because they didn't know that the Russians were involved. And, you know, how does and that apparently the Joker has recruited the Joker has recruited uh, the Russians. So, oh, it looks like Chase might be coming back in here. So uh, let me uh, see if I can get him back in. Are you there, buddy? I'm back. You're back? <laughs> well, that's good. I'm, I'm uh, back. I'm still alive, still driving. I got uh, about an hour and a half to go. <laughs> well, I'm, I, just, uh, I just started talking about the uh, Suicide Squad. Uh, get Joker. It's the it's the last comic book that I'll be. Uh, well, I guess that we're reviewing today. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, fire back up and uh, tell everybody I'm back. Yeah. Um, well, I have. I'm. I'm actually. I, I let you in live, my friend. Yeah, it's oh, all good. Fantastic. Even better. Even better. What's up, everybody? Yeah. <laughs> hope, you're all, uh, hope you're all enjoying the Rocky solo show tonight. Again, apologies. Uh, we'll be back to normal next week, but. Big shout out to Rock for keeping the, the home fires burning, uh, and yeah, um, yeah. Finish up, and then I want to talk a little bit about Justice League Infinity. Certainly. Uh, well, uh, uh, just to backtrack a little bit, Jace, uh, Suicide Squad get Joker. It's it's exactly what the title says. The the mission is to kill the Joker, and it's a fantastic fan. Is this the one that Brian Azzarello is writing? Yes, Brian Azzarello's writing this, and uh, I mean it's 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 just fantastic. Alex Maleev on the art. Alex Maleev is uh, is this is some of his best art yet. The action sequences are really good. He does a really good job. the The dialogue is crisp, is great. Uh, there was a lot of I was mentioning earlier. There was a lot of slack about Wild Dog being too real politic reminding people of you know he's claiming he he led the insurrection uh suggesting he led the insurrection on january 6 that january 6 is not mentioned in this comic wild dog comes across like a perfectly uh great in you know crazy terrorist uh which is what he's supposed to come across at as harley quinn is spot on there's firefly silver banshee a character called Meow Meow, who's a necrotic who can kill the cells off people. Plastique causes explosions. Uh, Yonder Man, they got a teleporter. We know how much Amanda Waller loves teleporters. <laughs> and of course, we got Harley Quinn. This is, I absolutely love this. I, I just, I wish this was, you know, uh, I just wish this was, uh, I would love to see this uh, as a cartoon or uh, uh, any, or even a, a real life. Uh, uh, a real life, just action pack, action flick. It's fantastic. They end up confronting. Uh, they end up uh, they, to to track down the Joker. The uh, Toy Man is somebody that knows where the Joker is. Toy Man's located in Gotham City. They locate the Toy Man, and they end up getting attacked by Russians. Jason Todd is pissed off. He figures that it's all been a trap. Amanda Waller says, this isn't a trap. What are you talking about? I, I'm not working with, you know, Joker's not, I didn't know he was working with Russians. Jason Todd says, look, Amanda, you know, Amanda, I know a trap. I, I, I have enough experience to know what a trap feels like. And 
And I got to tell you, man, when they confront who they think the Joker is in this bar and it ends up not being the Joker and the whole bar turns on him, it's it's a perfectly orchestrated trap for the Suicide Squad. And the, and the, and the action and the, the gun scene, the fight scene, absolutely incredible. So much fun, great dialogue, sar- sarcasm. Everyone's being a smartass. Uh... Not a lot of deaths. No suicide members dies in this issue, but really great issues. This uh, this meow meow character, this necrotic, is is absolutely. She's one disgusting Suicide Squad member. I'll tell you that she does some pretty gory things. Silver Banshee obviously kills quite a few. Wild Dog goes to town. Just this was a lot. This was a lot of fun. The teleporter yonder man. He gets them all to safety. They they escape. They try to escape with Toy Man, and you know they they discover that they were set up by the Russians, as I said. And Jason Todd is explaining this to Amanda Waller, and Amanda Waller, sort of saying, you know, is playing dumb. I don't know what you're talking about, Jason Todd. This is a trap. Meanwhile, as Amanda Waller is talking to Jason Todd uh, from her own private residence, she is. Her residence is broken into by the Joker. And this is going to make you so happy, Chase. You're going to be so happy. He he kills Amanda Waller. He knocks it. Oh, yeah. So, you know what? I was not planning on buying this at all. I'm not a fan of Alex Maleev at all, at all. Azarello, Azarello, you know, I can take him or leave him. Some stuff I like, some stuff I don't. But if if the Joker's killing Amanda Waller, um, um, yeah, I'm in. Yeah, and uh, you'll like I this. Might re- I might write. I might even reach out to Alex Believe and ask about ori- that original page. <laughs> well, I'm dead serious. I'm dead serious. If I yeah. can own the page where Amanda Waller dies, yes. Well, it, the, on on the page in question that I'm showing, uh, f- uh, for those listening to the po- not watching this on YouTube, but. Uh, I'll describe the scene. The Joker is is smashes the head of Amanda Waller, and she looks absolutely dead. And below it, it shows Jason Todd hearing the Joker's laugh <laughs> uh, as he's staring at his phone, and and the Joker says, "Guess who?" And uh, and no Garuvatan me, little brother. Uh, you know, he's basically telling Jason Todd, "Don't spoil the moment," and and it's it it suddenly dawns on Jason Todd how horrifying this moment is, because Harley Quinn asks Jason Todd what happened, and uh, Wild Dog says, "What happened? Look at his face. She chewed your ass out. Amanda chewed your ass out, didn't she?" <laughs> and all all Jason Todd says is. Joker has the box, and uh, and uh, Wild Dog says, "What box?" And then it's like, "Oh God!" And just to prove he has the box, Jason Do- or, uh, the Joker pushes the button and ends up killing Firefly, and uh, uh, yeah. and it's uh, it's incredible, and it's man it's and so now the joker controls the suicide squad and i'm so looking forward to the next issue as the suicide squad you know wild dog says it ba- best he says we are so fucked 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is so good. The joke, the idea of the Joker having the, the box in hand, like, Forget about. I mean, I, I I shouldn't you know celebrate any anybody's death, including a fictional character. But we all know how I feel about Amanda Waller. I just want her to go away. Not that I want her dead. I just I think she's a terribly written character, and I don't think there's any redeeming her because she's been terribly written for too long. So I think you just need to kind of let her retire and bring up somebody else that's a better, more well-rounded, and not so you know steeped in the tropes of angry overweight black woman although she's not as overweight anymore ever since angela bassett played her in the green lantern movie with ryan reynolds they've slimmed her down but that being said like forget about amanda waller being taken off the stage just the idea of a story where the joker controls the suicide squad that's that's a great hook that's a great way to get people interested um but maybe i missed it when you started out uh, talking about the story, what what is the impetus of, of like why did Amanda want to go after the Joker in the first place? Is she trying to recruit him to the squad, uh, or they never that that's that was frankly that was never uh, that was never made absolutely clear. That was never really clear. It was just to get the it was just to take the Joker out. That was never really made clear. But that was obviously why it got Jason Todd's attention. But I would have to go, yeah, but no, that I, that didn't really seem very clear to me. It just seemed well, like a, you know, it might have been, it might have been, I think, may, maybe she even wanted, may, maybe she wanted to recruit the Joker and not kill him, but she told Jason Todd it was, you know, we're going to kill the man who killed you. Yeah, I, I feel like, uh, yeah, and that's a great hook as well, because, you know, we've talked about how Jason hasn't really gotten a, a real good, emotional story, despite the fact that I think what Scott Liddell did with them was interesting, but it wasn't, it wasn't deep enough in my opinion to really let us know who, who Red Hood is. It was kind of the surface. He's still angry, still dealing with the trauma, but how about some actual character growth? I mean, Liddell wrote him ever since the new 52 started in 2011 until just a couple of years ago, like six, seven years of writing a character. And there's not, and it's ex- exploring that trauma and how it's affected him, but there's no growth. There's no has the trauma evolved? Has he has he managed to deal with it in more healthy ways, or managed to even get over it in some way? There's been none of that. So there's room. There's plenty of meat on that bone, for sure. Uh, but the other thing that I'll say, uh, with of course everybody reminders that I haven't read any of this, so take it with a grain of salt. <laughs> but it would not surprise me. Uh, I mean, Azarello's he's not the sort of writer to pull a, a Bendis and just say, oh, they're they're going after the Joker just for the sake of going after the Joker. If they're going after the Joker, I guarantee that Azarello at some point is going to touch on that in the series. He maybe just didn't want, you know, maybe it's tied into some conspiracy. Maybe, you know, there's more to it. So now it's going to be if Amanda Waller truly is gone. Now, now it becomes, OK, the Joker's controlling the Suicide Squad. And the Suicide Squad, without getting their heads blown off, has to find a way to investigate, you know, go into Amanda Waller's private information, the secrets that she kept, you know, break in, basically, because you know all that stuff's going to be locked down, and find out why did she want us to go after the Joker in the first place? Is there something there we can use 
to get ourselves out of uh, out from under the thumb of the Joker. You know, brings kind of a mystery aspect uh, to it, almost a Mission Impossible type. Exactly. Um, and, and and how do you and how do you get the Joker when he's got the button? Yeah, exactly. You got to I mean, do it on the down low. So that's all. That's all fascinating. I, and I do have again have to say I'm not a big fan of Alex Malib art. I'm interested to take a look at this, though, because you talk about it being the best artwork you've ever seen him do. Uh, his art, he, di- he typically paints in, like, watercolor. Um, I'm just not a fan. I mean, I'm sure it's all digital watercolor, so it is a little darker, and the lines are a little sharper than, you know, just regular watercolor. But I'm just not a fan. It's not a clean style. Um, so, you know, despite that, I am curious to, to read this. I mean, you tell me. This contains the death of Amanda Waller. This is this is at the top of the stack. I, I literally have not had time to read a single DC book this week. I'll be reading this first. There's yeah, no I, I th- yeah, I think you'll enjoy it. I mean, he gives he gives Amanda Waller more than a few whacks, and and there's a there's at least one whack 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 whack. There's there's so there's at least there's at least nine word balloons with whack on them so he hits her nine times with that uh wooden with, with uh not a crow, uh, crow it looks like a crowbar i think it's a metal bar so if she's as dead as uh jason todd was but so maybe she'll come back who knows it's the same crowbar <laughs> it could be well it it's not it doesn't have a curve on it it doesn't look like a crowbar it's kind of weird it just yeah, yeah. Brooke, is it like a fireplace poker uh, it could, I, I don't know. It just, it, it, I'm trying to, it, it sort of looks like his own, like his own, his own, like, uh, it just looks like his own walking stick with maybe a, a Joker face on the end of it. I think uh, gotcha. I, I'm just sort of guessing and, uh, yeah, so I, I don't know, but, but the Joker looks different as well. This is a different looking Joker. Uh, for those listening to the podcast, he's he's wearing suspenders and his white pants, white top, a purple shirt under the suspenders, and his his green hair is almost in like a crew cut. Uh, so he definitely he's not. You can tell this is not the mainstream DC Universe Joker. This is clearly an out of continuity tale, and I'm glad because you know, hey, anybody can die in this issue or in this series, and I think I think it's all the better for it. You know, uh, I really sort of wish that this was Lee Bermejo art. Uh, you know, obviously, Azarello and Bermejo, classic team. Um, but on the other hand, you know, if I, if I had to make a case against it being Lee, his panels do tend to be bigger and more cinematic oh. and gorgeous. And maybe if this is going to be a Mission Impossible type, you oh, might man. need an artist who can give you. I I think this is Alex Malib's best art in a long time. This is re- he's really good here. The the scene the scene where Jason Todd is staring at his phone, and he he realizes that Joker has the box. That is beautifully illustrated. Absolutely beautiful. It's it it, it you, you can feel the terror. You can see it dawn on Jason Todd. Oh, we are fucked. <laughs> Like it's crazy. Yeah, that's that's funny. That's really funny. Yeah, but uh, right. yeah, no, it's a it's a great issue, great issue. So, 
uh, you want you said you wanted to talk about uh, you you had some yeah. comments about Justice League. Uh, yeah, the Justice League Infinity. So I know we didn't cover issue one, but you did a spot, uh, an, an individual solo spotlight on your channel for Justice League Infinity number one because you were a huge fan of the Justice League Unlimited TV series, correct? Uh, well, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm a I'm a big fan of Justice League Infinity. Yes, uh, I am. I I I don't actually have. Sorry, here I'm. Uh, yeah, uh, I am. Why you want to you want to talk about Justice League Infinity? Well, no, I was just wondering if you were going to do another, like if you were going to cover that solo, Justice League Infinity, and do a spotlight on your channel like you did for Justice League Infinity number one. Um. Well, I might. Uh, I might. I. I actually haven't actually put. The, I haven't put that out yet. I was going to wait until Justice League Infinity one and two, and maybe maybe the first arc finishes, and I would. Go, I was going to do it all at once. Gotcha. Okay. So, but as it stands now, there are three other, there are three other comics that uh, I that I didn't think we were going to review this week, and that was uh, American Vampire, nineteen seventy six, uh, issue ten, The Conjuring, The Lover, issue three of five, and the final issue of The Dreaming Waking, uh, uh, Waking Hours. Uh, so those are those are coming out this week. And so those are yeah. all probably all worth checking out, especially fans of Scott Snyder, uh, American Vampire. I'm I'm behind reading those issues, but uh, I, you know, I've been following that for years, so I'm I'm anxious to see how it all wraps up because he's wrapping up the full mythology. So yeah, uh, and and along with those three, the Justice League Infinity number two we mentioned. Um, yeah. I, I have only ever read the first arc of uh, American Vampire. I always meant to get to it and I was really trying to get to it this last month because I knew this, uh, as Rocky said, I knew the issue coming out uh, this week on August 3rd was not just the series finale, but, uh, or not just the last of the arc, but the series finale, like that ends the property, at least for now. Um, and I, I would think for a long time, I mean, never say never, Scott owns the property. He could bring it back at some point at DC under Black Label. But as we all heard about the announcement for Best Jacket Press and all the series he has coming out this year, eight series, there's more in the works. He's working again with Raphael Albuquerque on a whole whole new uh, project. And so I sort of feel like if Scott says he's done with American Vampire, doesn't have any stories to tell, there's not really a reason. And if you come up with another idea, why not do it under your best jacket press uh, imprint and and start it as a new property? That way you have 100% ownership of it, yeah. right? So I really do think this is the end for American Vampire at DC. Um, and so, yeah, because of that, and I feel like it's a pretty important uh, milestone, I wanted to mention it. And also I... I did want to read it, but again, I've only ever read the first arc, so I had like 80 issues of American Vampire to read in a month, which is a lot, even if I wasn't super busy with this auction and uh, day job stuff. And so, yeah, it just it just didn't happen. And I'm, I'm really honestly disappointed because I wanted to read it and, and give it the, the review and the send-off that it deserves. So I'll probably just have to at some point – do a spotlight on it 
um, maybe issue by issue or maybe arc by arc to give it what it deserves and, and sooner than later. So hopefully somehow I'm going to invent a time machine and I'll be able to uh, maybe just pause time <laughs> and have chance, a chance to read it because I really would like to get that out this week, uh, this month rather before people kind of start to forget about it. But uh, yeah. anyway, uh, there will be uh, a, an episode coming out this week, hopefully on Wednesday. Um, if not Wednesday, then Thursday about Terrificon. And again, I want to uh, throw my thanks and gratitude out to Mitch Halleck of Mitch Halleck's Terrificon for hosting the auction a huge thank you to everybody that donated. I'm not going to name any of them here because I don't want to list. I don't want to leave anybody off the list. Uh, but we had a massive amount of people that donated, including artists at the show. Obviously, uh, one name I will mention is Scott Patterson, Luke from the Gilmore Girls, who went above and beyond. Absolutely amazing for him to get involved. Um, and then all the comic creators that, that donated things as well. And also a thank you to everybody that attended the auction. Uh, and those that bid and donated, uh, we even had some people that attended the auction that didn't uh, bid or win anything that still uh, donated some funds to Titus's GoFundMe. So uh, we're, we're pulling for the little guy. There's more items to come, like I mentioned at the top of the podcast, because uh, we didn't get to everything. So make sure you're following the comic source on Twitter. It's just twitter.com forward slash the comic source. Uh, Check out the pin tweet. I'll have it up. That pin tweet will be updated tomorrow, and it'll have the details of uh, the other auction. Um, as far as mailing things out to the auction winners, I was hoping to start getting to that tomorrow, Tuesday, uh, as we're recording this. Maybe today, as you're listening to it. But unfortunately, having to drive home from LA and having delayed flight and nightmare travel uh i lost a whole day so uh hopefully by friday uh really just gonna try to get that stuff out to y'all as soon as i can and i'll reach out to the uh, artists that donated the items that they need to ship directly and either get you in contact with them or get your shipping information and get it over to them so that can uh all be taken care of as well uh, it is a priority for me to get all this stuff out uh, but please keep in mind that I don't have any control over the artist actually going to the mailbox and shipping it out. Uh, but I will implore them to do so quickly. Um, and you know, that's all I can do. Certainly if you have any problems, let me know and I'll reach out to them and kind of poke them as gently as I can to remind them to, uh, to get your item shipped out to you. So, uh, I guess that's it. Uh, Rocky, have anything else that you want to plug coming up this week? Uh, well, I just want uh, I want everybody to uh, go to go see the Suicide Squad on August sixth uh, this week. Uh, I, I it's going to be the first time I was I've all been in a movie theater for over well I think over a year for me. It'll be my first return to a movie theater this week, so I'm really looking forward to Suicide Squad. I've heard so many great things about it. I'm looking forward to picking up all my all all my um, I got all the Suicide Squad covers for for DC Comics this month, so I'm really looking forward to that. Uh, just to get them all, and I'm really hoping that this is DC's DC movies are are in need of some dare I say improvement, and I'm hoping this is the beginning of something great for DC. Fingers are crossed. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, 
I haven't been to the movies in over a year and a half either. Um, but I don't know if I, Suicide Squad's the one that gets me back in there. I, don't, <laughs> I honestly don't think there's any, any movie that would get me back in there right now, to be honest with you. Um, but I do want to see it. So, I don't know. I'll have to think long and hard because that you should see it on the IMAX screen so you can see all the action big and yeah. bombastic and over the top. So there is, uh, there is a, an appeal to that. Yeah. I hear you. So we'll see. We'll see what happens. So, uh, anyway, everybody be sure that if you're, uh, listening to this as audio only on the podcast, you head over to YouTube at some point and Rocky, uh, a like on the video, be sure you ring that notification bell. So, you know, when he has new content going up, and uh, you should subscribe as well uh, because he puts out some really great content. Uh, on the flip side, if you're a YouTube watcher and you love what the Comic Source does, be sure you subscribe to the Comic Source uh, RSS feed or whatever particular podcast app you use. Just do a search for the Comic Source and you'll find us. We're pretty much on every platform. Uh, and like I said, follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram. That way you know when things like this cool charity auction uh, is going on and you know, you can eavesdrop on our conversations with creators. So uh, that's going to do it for this this strange but fun uh, episode All right. uh, in transit, in, in route to uh, Phoenix. And thanks again to you, Rocky, for keeping the home fires burning while I was uh, unfortunately unable to join as, uh, as usual. It's all good, brother. <laughs> it's okay. Catch all right, everybody. Later. Thanks for uh, watching, and we'll talk to you next time. You can find the Comic Source Podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, or whichever podcasting app you prefer. Please tell all your friends about us, subscribe, and rate us. The ratings really help with our visibility and our ability to reach new listeners, especially five-star reviews on Apple. Also be sure to visit us at lrmonline.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover all our other great pop culture content. If you want to email us, the email address is thecomicsourceblog at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Twitter, twitter.com forward slash thecomicsource. Do a search for The Comic Source on Facebook and Instagram to follow us on those social platforms. All three spots are great places to find out when we release new episodes, as well as follow all our convention coverage. So once again, we want to thank everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.